welcome to episode four of the Dog Zone 9000 podcast, the official podcast for 1-900-HOT-DOG. With me, as always, is cracked legend and sci-fi author, Robert Brockway. Oh, wait, I'm the cracked legend That's and sci-fi author. Exactly. Oh, you're going you're gonna to have to be more specific. Isn't that wonderful that we have a second cracked legend and sci-fi author here with us? Jason Pargin, who writes as David Wong. Welcome to the show, so you know how like the Walking Dead had that after show where it was just mm-hmm. Chris Hardwick and some celebrities kind of sitting around like bored talking about the episode that had just occurred. Sure. Don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like this podcast is just the after show for that theme song. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. And like uh, the audience t- came for that, but they're they're just kind of still got the their device on. So we'll just talk. We'll just sit with them for a while, just to keep them company while we're all digesting the theme song. I'm I'm gonna be yeah, curious how people like the new German version, which uh, again we there's a German version. Yeah, and we have no idea why we made it. We just we just said let's fucking do it, and it made us laugh, and so we did it. We don't have a bit about it. This will not be a German themed podcast. Uh, uh, it could be Oktoberfest. Like, a, right? Down, we down Miami Oktoberfest. In October. Okay. <laughs> that's my, my seventh favorite Dennis Miller joke. Well, oh, that was a Dennis Miller. Okay. <laughs> you didn't get I was like, from my impression. No, it was like maybe a little bit Christopher Walken, but like a drunk Christopher Walken. Maybe I should have brought in something about Oingo Boingo, babe. Yeah, there you go. See, drunk Christopher Walken. But really, what better tribute to Dennis Miller (laughs) than to do a reference that everyone else in the room completely missed? (laughs) (laughs) Because only you know the bit you're doing, and the rest of us are like... Because there was a few years when all of America was required to laugh along with Dennis Miller because we were afraid that maybe we were wrong. Yeah, like... I I didn't get it. That Crispin Glover movie that he mentioned. Great. Kierkegaard. Yes, I studied Kierkegaard. My favorite... I'm sitting there at age 15 acting like I know who all of these 70s TV stars are that he's (laughs) referencing. Everybody do your favorite, your favorite bit from Dennis Miller right now. Your favorite joke. What is it? You know, you've got it. What's the big deal if the temperature rises a few degrees? We'll tell the grandkids we moved to Arizona, babe. (laughs) I'll take the money I saved on sweaters and use it to buy a rifle to hunt a caribou, babe. That's real. <laughs> That's real. You did have a real one. I am, my God, I am astonished. I thought, I thought for sure. I, uh, there was a discount, like, furniture and other crap store in Portland under a bridge. And we'd go in there to, like, laugh at the obscure old items they had. And one, one day in, like, I want to say probably 2012, we went in there and they had an entire shopping cart full of talking Dennis Miller dolls. All the same doll. <laughs> And they were like a dollar, and nobody had taken a single one. There was like a thousand there. I would and have bought the like, whole cart. That's, I that's said, where I am with How Dennis many are in this cart? And then double it. And that's what I'll give you. I probably could have offered him like five bucks for the whole cart and then just started like a really creepy army. Just like <laughs> built a shed out of Dennis Miller dolls. Just put strange messages on them and hide them around Portland. Anyway, that's my, my perfect memory of Dennis Miller. We've all got one. What's yours? <laughs> The, the topic of today's show is not uh, uh, actually Dennis Miller. I'm going to try to get some fucking reins on this. Uh, we're going to be talking about Over the Top, the film, but not the film, the genre of film. And um, I think between the three of us, uh, Jason, you're probably the best communicator 
if you want to try to explain what over the top is as a genre. Okay. Before I explain the over the top genre, it, it, in the too long didn't listen version is in movies, sometimes they want to do a movie about a specific subculture, you know, the way like staying alive was about disco or the way mm -hmm. that uh, kickboxer was about. Uh, I don't remember what sport that was about, but at <laughs> or Lombada. Uh, yeah, exactly. They were they want to do a movie about a subculture, but the problem is the screenwriter doesn't actually know anything about the subculture, and also the subculture either doesn't exist, <laughs> or if it does, it's in a very limited and sad form. So occasionally, they will make a movie that really acts like some deeply uncool job or hobby. It, the movie takes place in this big money, high stakes world of blank. For example, Over the Top is a 1987 film starring Sylvester Stallone. The character's name was, either of you? Hawk. Uh, Top McGillicuddy. His phone, <laughs> no, it, the real name, you're not going to out stupid the real name of, an, of a Sylvester Stallone movie. I'm sorry. It's Lincoln Hawk. <laughs> and this movie is about the high stakes, big money world of professional arm wrestling. It's the, and the, I remember that movie, they would like be watching arm wrestling, like in every bar and every airport. It was like the most popular televised sport. And that's the point, because this is the, this is the thing that you see happen in movies where it will be about some. And we're going to run through a few examples Something in real life, if you like, it exists. There's professional arm wrestling competitions. I do, mm -hmm. I do not doubt it. But this is a film in which that's like America's sport. The way right. you know, like like Karate Kid, they took place in a town or a world where like teenage karate is the sport everyone is obsessed with. Everyone's life revolves around that thing. And I, then over the top. It's funny just, you bring that up because I do think the new Cobra Kai show, which is weirdly good, is a perfect example of how to handle. Uh, that whole high stakes world that these people live in because you're never you never stop being reminded while you're watching that show of how it's important to these characters but the rest of the world does not give a shit like the stakes in Cobra Kai are like the gym memberships of 11 15 year olds and there's even a line in the movie where uh, uh, Johnny and uh, Daniel-san run into each other on a double date and uh, this woman's like oh you guys know each other and Daniel-san's wife says oh yes their schools have rival karate wars and it's so ludicrous, even in the show. Like, everyone just instantly knows how absurd it is for these two characters to have this as their motivation. And so, I guess, uh, I just want to point out that this genre is not necessarily bad, but we will probably be picking absurd examples of it. Yes. For example, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Color of Money, the Tom mm -hmm. Cruise, Paul Newman pool playing movie. I have no idea if pool hustlers, if they actually have this whole subculture where they play $50,000 a game and eventually wind up in Vegas. I don't know. But in the case of over the top, that's why we're calling this the over the top genre. Because over the top, the plot is Sylvester Stallone is a truck driver driving across America to go to the world arm wrestling championships mm -hmm. and to try to win the, the love of his estranged son. Right. And, and like $250,000 plus like a half million dollar truck. Right. Like it's, it's not just love. It's like hundreds of thousands of dollars Correct. in prize money. What a and huge likelihood of any that being a pain in your ass. Like if someone gave me a big rig, I'd be like, God damn, I don't even know what I'm going to park that. <laughs> 
Exactly. That's that's the glorious thing about over the top is that the prize is a hundred thousand in cash, <laughs> in a semi truck. Worth and he came from the trucker division. That that was his thing. He was the champion of the trucker division That's right. of arm wrestling, which is why he got in there. It was a subgenre of a subgenre. Yeah, just truckers arm wrestling. That's why every single stop, every single truck stop he went to, it wasn't just like taking a shit in a shower and trying to find a hooker. They were all just in there arm wrestling. Correct. Every single person. Because <laughs> this is a world like in kung fu movies where you can a fight will break out in a grocery store and everybody in there knows kung fu. It's That's like that only with, with arm wrestling, right? It only this is a world where everyone knows how to arm wrestle. Like you're not a, a respectable person unless you've got some level of arm wrestling. And, and yeah, if you happen to get in that division, if you're not a trucker, then too bad. You're, that's, this is the prize, and, and that's that. And so the reason I'm bringing up all of these plot details is that the main like emotional through line of the movie is that the, like his wife's parents or whatever, whoever has custody of the kid, don't approve of his lifestyle as a mere trucker. But when they come see him compete as an arm wrestler <laughs> and he wins, they realize he is a suitable father for this child. Right. And he wins custody he of the child by winning the arm wrestling competition. Because in this universe, if you go to an adoption agency and they ask, what's your job? And you say, I'm a professional arm wrestler. That makes you more yeah. likely to get the child. They give you several children. As opposed to like a truck driver where they're like, truck driver? Nobody does that for a living. Now arm wrestling, <laughs> that's a career. So... This is the point. And the thing is, is that even though I think I'm not even sure all of our examples were made after over the top, it doesn't matter. Once over the top was made, yeah. that became the genre. It owned the genre. These are the over the top genre of films. Mm -hmm. Now, are we acting? Are we going to sit here and pretend that the real world does not turn on the whims of arm wrestling? <laughs> because it does. That's true. It did change actually, the world. So. Before Over the Top came out, we would have found it absurd. But now, of course, we all have our favorite arm wrestlers, and we all went to arm wrestling school for a couple years. And have any of you seen the new Snakes on a Plane, uh, Money Plane? Mm, I don't think so. Have you heard about that? I was definitely. Briefly... I've watched seven or eight YouTube reviews of it because that's how I yeah. It was like film now. <laughs> it was it was the Snakes on a Plane of of this generation, I guess. Where, like, everybody wants to make a meme about it, nobody wants to watch it. But uh, apparently, that movie, which, which was by and for and almost exclusively starring the Lawrence brothers of uh, oh, yes. Joey Lawrence I did Blossom see this movie fame. With Kelsey yeah, Grammer. Uh, Kelsey Grammer yeah, talking Kelsey like Grammer. Kelsey Grammer's the big bad. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know how that movie got made? No. Arm wrestling. <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. Uh, the youngest Lawrence, is that, is that Andrew a weird joke Lawrence, uh, met up with. No, no, I'm going to explain. The youngest Lawrence, Andrew Lawrence, met up with a producer, and the producer challenged him to an arm wrestling match, with the stakes being Andrew Lawrence would have to be in his next movie for free if he lost. Oh, wow. And Andrew Lawrence countered with, if I win, I get to direct that's, it. And that's won, amazing. And, they, and he wrote and directed Money Plane. That, you can check. That you can check. I'm sadly if I would have given that movie a 2 out of 10, it now is at least an 8 or 9 out of 10. It's a movie made by and exclusively by arm wrestling. The Lawrences okay. are incidental. But I'm going to have to push back a little bit here because I feel like that's the exception that proves the rule. I think that, Sean, if you went to a truck stop tonight uh -huh. and you found a large man who said, hey, 
if I beat you in arm wrestling, you have to be in my movie tonight. Uh-huh. I, I don't that. think Kelsey Grammer would be in it. <laughs> uh, and, and if he is, like, there's like a 50-50 chance it's a snuff film. But, but either way, it's probably Like I would have gonna... to kill Kelsey Grammer if I lose this arm wrestling match? Right. He would kill you. Can we be real? Well, what's this? What are the rules? No, you're right. Yeah, Kelsey Graham would probably kill me. Like before it even started, I just pent up like rage. see a knife come out of my chest and hear his laugh. No. You've got too much love in your heart to take him. <laughs> you might be right. That's what people say about me. Not not started. to get us off on another tangent here, because we're we're we've been flowing so smoothly so far. But the premise of Money Plane, for those of you who have not seen it, one, the movie appears to have been made on a budget of like two thousand dollars. Like after they paid after they paid Kelsey right. Grammer and it's and like one room with a curtain. It's all they could raise by arm wrestling. They literally have like a, a movie like a kind of an airliner interior airliner set that's like ten feet of it and they just keep walking through like a curtain and pretending like they've entered another room where they've right. just redecorated that one. But the entire premise is that they have a high stakes casino that's on an airliner. Yeah, in international waters. So like you could just do whatever you can bet so on. Of course, anything. everything is legal. Everyone knows that's the rule. Like if you're taking an international flight, if you stab somebody on that flight, it, that's, there's nothing they yeah. can do. Fair game. That's um, but sky law is what they call that. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you've ever ridden on a plane before, I want you to imagine like a roulette wheel or any kind of casino game that involves chips or any kind of like <laughs> card staying on the table. Like these are not. This is not like a smooth operation. This thing hits some turbulence. Like your entire game is now on the floor. If I recall, they pay lip service to that in the movie. Like they have some sort of a special stabilizer, and also they hire the best pilots in the world. I think it's like they they know to do money play that you're thinking that, and so like no audience, we we've at least established <laughs> why that's not the case. I like how it implies the just complete lack of morals on behalf of pilots. The best pilots in the world are willing to drop everything and fly the money plane right. where a man routinely fucks an alligator and like every flight. Also, the only reason you ever have turbulence on your plane is because your pilot is garbage. Yeah, that's how air works. <laughs> Motherfucker. Anyway, over-the-top movies. Yes, let's get to the over-the-top movies. You know what? Before we start, I would like to point out to our listeners that uh, Jason David Wong Parjun's book is in stores now, Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. I'm only uh, halfway into it, uh, but I love it. Uh, I want to say some nice things about you uh, and make you very uncomfortable before we start. Um, I uh, love the dark dystopian future you've created that feels like all of the things I hate about right now, if it gets accelerated in the future, like, like the idea of incels and internet trolls sort of becoming larger communities and like dictating how we have to deal with the world and interface with uh, others is a is a super dark uh, way to look at the future. Uh, so congratulations for making me uh, a little squeamish. That's unusual. Um, I, I can feel the, the work you put into the book. Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't want to sound like a, a Fruit Loop, but like, you know, you can read a Murakami book or a, a Cormac McCarthy book and it's kind of exhausting. Uh, you have some of that, but it's not exhausting. Like characters will make observations that are very clever and funny, uh, but it it doesn't distract from the flow of it. So I just want to say that it's it's, it's very well written, and uh, congratulations on a on a good book. I I have finished it, oh. and I would like to chime in with that it ends super strong. And I love it, and I can't wait for more of them. I think, and this this means a lot 
I think I like it better than Jaw Dies at the End oh. series. Um, it's such a good book, and it's it's very timely without, I think, maybe not meaning to be timely. It explains everything about the world without actually talking about our exact scenario. It is not overtly political, right. but it's very social. And uh, But I can feel the so thought Everybody you put should into, buy like, everything. It's just, it feels very wise. Also, you're a very good-looking man and an intensely God. sexual creature. Sweet dick basket. <laughs> it's because, okay... That's extremely kind. I, I guess to reassure the listeners, it's not darker than like our present reality. Like it is, it, it the title is literally "Zoe punches the future in the dick." It is, it is a, it is a light, it is a light tone. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, I, I don't want to give the wrong tone. There's a lot of whimsy, but I'm saying that the yeah. the implications of this dystopia is troubling to me more so than just like a regular apocalypse. But also, right, but our current apocalypse is also very stupid and silly. You can be both, and right. I think the book is both. But there's not like a a president, Denny. No, Trump. it's not about. <laughs> like, like, it's not about. That's what I was saying. It's not about uh, now. So Funk's old brother. Anyway, but that was and it, 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 it. The the risk that Sean took there, like selling the book that he's only read the first half of, knowing that he could go he could go home. <laughs> yeah, that was like, bold. tonight, and finish it in the whole second half is just. Yeah. Like, well, if you Denny think Trump about chapter. it, the, yeah, the, the Holocaust, we don't really know that it happened. Uh, <laughs> no, it should... that, was a, that was a huge twist that um, the whole book was all about. But with a three-year-old, so, getting halfway through a book is a pretty huge accomplishment. Like, I don't yeah. really get a lot of reading done. We also have a website yeah, where we do done. daily updates. So it, time is not, like, my best friend. That website is called something. I can't remember the name, though. Right, if only there was Something some about sort pizza. of theme song. No. Uh, it was in German th- today, I forget. I forget what it was. <laughs> Frankfurt.com. I can't remember the last book I read for pleasure where I wasn't, it, like something they sent me to give like a, a Borobon. Uh, like I just, and that's all I have to do now. I'm a full-time the Bible? author. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, I have... My my process is I buy books and store them on my Kindle and then they just they just sit there. Mm-hmm. It's I guess it's that's so I can feel like I did something by buying them. And by the way, just and again we've we will get to the over the top movies in just a moment. But I think this whole podcast should be us talking about how we're going to get to the movie. <laughs> it just never. It turned out we we actually lied about having more examples. It's like in a sense I did not come up with anything. Exactly. Came up with a great so premise for a podcast, but none of us fucking watched a single movie. Yeah, it's no one. No one did it other than than uh, over the top, which invented the genre and then killed it. Um, no, for <laughs> people it. out there who are only showed up to uh, Sean and Brockway's work through one nine hundred hot dog is the name of the the site. Me and Sean have been tangentially working on kind of one thing or another for twenty years, at least. Yeah. Because my first website was on the UGO network in 1999 as part of a right. portal of comedy sites back when you used to have web rings and web portals of, of stuff. And they still owe me like 11 grand. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. They stopped. Oh, wow, they really? stopped paying all of us when the bubble when when the bubble yeah. burst. Uh, one of one of multiple industry collapses I have lived through. <laughs> uh, but it's it's weird because that's one of the longer work relationships I've had in my life. Um, 
but uh, most uh, this will be you know like the longest we've spoken on the phone and of course we're recording it for for podcast purposes which is how all of my relationships go i worked with jack o'brien every single day for 10 straight years and the only time we spoke on the phone was for podcasts right we invited all of the audience to listen in. Uh, <laughs> Monetize your human connection so that other people can feel like mm-hmm. they're in. And well, I'm glad that on one of our first conversations, I could make you so uncomfortable with all those compliments. Yeah. Does that make you uncomfortable when you get complimented like that? On one hand, it should. Um, <laughs> but on the other hand, you cannot survive as a creator unless you're willing to spend like half your day telling people how great you're your thing is okay. uh so at this point oh, you've come to believe your own hype it's like it's like you know i because at some point i'm gonna write a book that everyone hates and i <laughs> it's like i have if i'm gonna I mean, accept to. all of the abuse when that comes then then i should have the right to accept people being nice to me about about the book because this is literally the only thing I know how to do. I have no other skills. I cannot, I cannot play a musical instrument. I'm not good at managing money. I, I don't make friends. Uh, you know, I'm not handsome. I have no athletic ability. I cannot dunk a basketball. I can only write things. It's the one thing I have. So yes, I can, I can accept compliments about this because like this is all, this is all I've got. I have personally seen you dunk a basketball. Lying piece of shit. You're so humble. I have. I do have a pitch. What about the over the top of plate spinning? The a whole novel about like the world's greatest plate spinner trying to get to the you know world champions of plate spinning. What do you Here's think? Here's the thing. Once we get through these examples, we're actually going to come up with a reliable template for making that happen because you've got to have like the, the evil plate spinner. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the person who's trying to like to like rig the the contest right you've got to have the case where somehow you have to win the the heart of someone else and it has to be in a world where everyone just there's you have to vent like slang yeah it has to start (laughs) like like low-key it has to start in like dive bars and shit where you're like this is the underground world of this and we make it to the professional world of plate spinning the big time and there's got to be there has to be both worlds like one superstar plate spinner that you aspire to face someday but also dread that was an over the top the guy who was the five-time world champion and the, the hawk had Bull. never beaten him um so anyway but yeah we've we'll i will bet most of our examples today have have got something something to the tune of that who wants to go first why don't uh, we go i can do it chronologically oh, how about that's that that's a great idea all right so i am bringing put... Jason first, or did that put Rockway first? Uh, what, where, when, when was Roadhouse? Was Roadhouse post-1989? Roadhouse was 1989. Hmm. Oh, shit. Wasn't I'm bringing The Wizard. Christ, I didn't, I didn't write down the year Roadhouse takes place. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure I wrote an entire article about Roadhouse that is will be on the site by the time you guys hear 89 this. 89 sounds right. Mm-hmm. Did you get the month? Did you not get the month of Roadhouse? <laughs> Because mine's also 1989. You did not come prepared for this situation. I do think Roadhouse is the most well-known of the movies. Let's do Roadhouse. I'll start out with Roadhouse. You're up. Roadhouse is a Patrick Swayze movie from, uh, I think, 1989, because it was the next movie he made after Dirty Dancing. 
um, and mm-hmm. so he set out to make just the most heterosexual movie possible. Just so straight. Because he was scared that Dirty Dancing, like he didn't want to get typecast as like the dancing guy. He wanted to be the tough guy. And in the late 80s, like we were, it was a different time. Um, but in many ways, it was not a different time. <laughs> but <laughs> he plays in Roadhouse a bouncer, but not just any bouncer. He plays one of the world's top bouncers, a a cooler, which is the, like the king of the bouncers, but it's his job is, is if someone's rowdy in the bar, he comes and gets them to leave the bar. He cools them off. There you go. Or, or he puts them in a cooler. Sometimes both. Uh, Yeah. Either way, because cool. I think he's like the bouncer who commands the other bouncer, but he got to that position by being the the superstar, the Michael Jordan of bouncers. <laughs> in this movie, Patrick Swayze makes $400,000 a year as a bouncer and drives a Mercedes. Yeah. Because he is at the top of the top bouncer-wise. I he did the math on it, and he actually, in today's money, he makes about a quarter million dollars a year, assuming he works five days a week. Uh, yeah, but he was getting paid in cash, and there's no That's taxes true. taken out. Sure. Um, so, you know, you, but either way, it's making more like what a doctor or a lawyer would make in, in that era. Because when a bar in America is so overrun with hooligans, <laughs> they can bring in Patrick Swayze. Um, it's, his last name is Dalton. They all just call him Dalton. I honestly do not remember what his first name is. It's not Sam. I'm uh, not sure they Sam, even give him one. Davy. Davy Dalton, probably. It's just it's just Dalton because the point is in this movie when they say Dalton, everyone in the world knows who that is. That's the world famous bouncer, Dalton. Oh shit, that's Dalton. He doesn't need two names, and and that that thing that Brockway just said there, he's citing people. People say that in the movie over time, (laughs) like that's Dalton. Oh fuck, that's Dalton. Yeah. Because everywhere in the world you go, any bar, they know Dalton because he's the he's the best. And then Patrick Swayze early in the movie, Dalton like uh, like casually says, "Well, actually, um, Sam Elliott's character. It's and I'm I'm so sorry, I can't I don't have his name in front of me. It's like it's always just Sam Elliott. You know? Yeah, it's Sam Elliott. You're not gonna forget it's Sam Elliott. It's like well, actually, he's it's Wade Garrett. Wade Garrett's the best. It's like well, right. you know, he's, he's got no." Yeah, you're you're the man now. So he the movie opens with him bouncing in a bar in New York that's packed and it's huge and there's a ton of rich people there and you see him doing his bouncer thing and then he gets this guy comes to him and says, Hey, I've got a bar in Missouri that I need cleaned up and then Patrick Swayze gives him like his ridiculous terms. It's like five hundred bucks a night cash, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you pay all my hospital bills, blah blah blah. He's like, done, done. You're Dalton. Like yeah. you name your price. Like I got your first class paying tickets right here, and that's like his life. He just goes around to these bars, and then once he he gets all the ruffians out of the bar, then the bar thrives and makes millions of dollars, which of course is exactly how how it, it would work. Because this movie right. opens with Dalton, it's it's like there's these guys in suits because it's like a high class bar, and one of the guys gets unruly, and and there's a woman sitting across from from him, and he, he like kicks her in the vagina. Yeah, classic <laughs> vagina kick, and, all time. And so top ten vagina kick there. Dalton asks them to leave um, because that's you know it, it's a frowned upon. I yeah, think that's frowned the upon move. Yeah. in that establishment, and, and the guy like pulls out a switchblade and says. I think I can take you, Dalton. I've always wanted to try you. 
because since it, I was a little boy, I've dreamed. Yeah, because this is a universe universe in which little kids dress as Dalton for Halloween, probably. Like, <laughs> you guys have never gone into a bar and thought. I could fuck that bouncer up, never. That's not crossed your mind, whether or not you could fight the bouncer to the death. Always, always thought I could take him. First thing that enters my head when I go into a bar is, could it I kill this from bouncer? from now on, oddly enough. Because the bouncer is always someone who's trained in like eight different kinds of martial arts, <laughs> it is, as opposed to just like the biggest, fattest guy they could find. Right. That, you know, he just kind of like shoves guys out the door. But Because it's, you know, they have obviously these break out into choreographed fight scenes and all that because this is the glamorous, glamorous, high stakes, big money world of uh, in life and death world of bouncing. Because uh, to be clear, in this movie about a bouncer, uh, like twelve people die. <laughs> by by <laughs> the end of this movie, Patrick. Swayze, I believe the I believe the period covers less than a week, like including flight time. Uh, yeah, I believe it's just it would be like. More murders than have actually occurred in the state of Missouri that in the year 1989. One of the strangest things about this movie is that it's kind of like The Warriors, which is, I guess, a good over-the-top movie about gangs. But there's just nobody has a gun except for, like, the super rich bad guys. But it's like rural Missouri, where everyone would have at least a hunting rifle and probably a couple sidearms. And no one thinks to just shoot these terrorists that are just show up at the people's businesses and there's like 11 of them like you could kill them in an afternoon with your yeah the authorities are never nobody even thinks of involving right. them because if the crime happens in the bar that's bar crime right. and it must be dealt like, with by bar they're law. fucking pulling knives <laughs> like they're already assaulting with a deadly weapon they might as well use a gun and here's this dalton no, guy no, who's like it happened in a bar i'm good at karate and they're got like, a bar marshal <laughs> i don't know so marshal the romance subplot is Dalton oh. gets gets wounded as you know as happens frequently, and so he has to go to the hospital and gets sewn up by the the hot just lady, like the hottest doctor. doctor that's ever been. Yeah, the the hot young lady doctor, and she like asks him his job, and he tells her he's like a bouncer, and she's just totally swoons over mm-hmm. him, and he like invites her to come see him at his bar. He and, also tells her that he has a, a degree in philosophy, which. I think if you've ever known anyone who had a degree in philosophy, I don't think it's like the panty dropper that the writer of the movie thought it would be. Like, if you told the girl, hey, I'm a bouncer, but I have a degree in philosophy, she's just going to roll her eyes so fucking hard. Yeah, that's why you became a bouncer, I guess. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, the plot line of someone with a degree in philosophy winding up working at a bar, like, that's plausible. I guess. Mm -hmm. You might have a couple questions. I mean, Patrick Swayze is obviously a beautiful man. He could probably tell someone he had a, Bruce Lee, a degree Bruce in Lee diarrhea degree in philosophy. and get through it. Well, see, this is my point. She, like, agrees to come to his bar and, you know. Come watch she, me work, baby. She, come watch me work. And, like, she shows up there and he even does this thing, like, like, who are you here to see? Like, he's forgotten about her. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they wind up going. And she loves it. Going out she on a date. It. And the whole time, she is, like, so awestruck. That this that this bouncer, this high class upper end four hundred thousand dollar year bouncer or whatever, that he deigned to date a mere doctor, right? And they're a like in this diner, and, and he has like his bouncer buddy that came with him, Wade Garrett's there, Sam Elliott's character, and they're like telling bouncer stories about like yeah, and I cracked his kneecap, you know, and then I I did this, and this doctor like she's just sitting there like her eyes like like wow, you're so <laughs> oh you're so 
cool. I love that you hurt people. I am a doctor. Yeah, she's a doctor, and and they're not asking her to tell any doctor stories. Like she saves lives. Right. You know, she finds like, things in people's butts. She could talk all night. Yeah, she went to medical school and has to be able to read like an entire textbook in seventy-two hours, and and works you know these seventy-hour shifts, and she's just sitting there like, oh my gosh, the, um, the, to be around these these famous bouncers like it's, it's like a dream for every little girl's dream and it's so amazing because it's it's this alternate universe where yeah it, it's you know bouncer bouncer's a job where you can tell a doctor that's what you are and they're like oh, gosh can i mean would you could you be seen with someone like me to graduate from esteemed bouncing colleges yeah it's your bouncing internship which, again, if it was just like if they made it a plot point where she's kind of wild and it's like, well, look, he's he looks like freaking Patrick Swayze. Uh, you know, he looks like yeah, that's enough. he looks like, yeah, it looks like he's got a pretty good hog on him. You know, I'm a doctor. I can tell I can tell by looking yeah. at a dude how much of a hog he's got. That's something you learned in medical school. Like a class if her whole thing was it. like if they had made her her temper more like, yeah, I'll go do this like. You know, it'll be fun. Like I'm, I, you know, I'll get away from my boring doctor friends and go go to this guy's sleazy bar that is so overrun with violence that it's <laughs> right. that they had to bring yeah, in the I'll world's best bouncer. If someone dies here every night, it, you know, it, it would be one thing if she was like slumming it, and then that's like she gets like a sexual thrill out of, and then that becomes like a source of tension. But it's not like that at all. It's yes. because Patrick Swayze has a philosophy degree. Like he's this, he has this like samurai's honor code that, as you know, bouncers have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bouncers code. What I really liked about Patrick Swayze it. the most in the movie is he kind of refused to engage <laughs> in like uh, one-liners. Like the guy would show up and he'd go, "Prepare to die," and Patrick Swayze goes, "You're such an asshole." And I just, I, I <laughs> love that. It's like they never got around to writing as one-liners and. Uh, God, what did he say? He goes, I used to fuck guys like you in prison, which is an amazing line. And I yeah, think Patrick Sweezy's response is like, shut the fuck up. It's just, he doesn't even try. And then he kicks the guy. I think maybe guy. he was just improving that entire movie. Do you think everybody else had lines and then they were just like, be Patrick Swayze about this whole deal. I got this. I got this. And they're like, all right, action. Oh, Patrick, you want to try that one again? No, I, I called him an asshole. That's good, right? His response to that line is to kick that guy in the dick several times and then rip his throat out. Yeah. He got beat to death like eight times over and then just left. He got beat so bad that Patrick Swayze's own girlfriend ran to check on him. Yeah, on the bad guy that he (laughs) he dumped him in a lake. She's like, I got to And by the way, not a deal breaker for the relationship at all. This doctor, no, yeah. like she, she witnesses him kill six people with his bare hands, and then the final scene of the movie is them skinny dipping together under like happy banging music. in front of a blind dude. That's my favorite part. Yeah, they made their blind friend come and listen to them. Gotta listen to the slapping of the river. Oh, Dalton, I love this. I love when you fuck ladies. I, it's quite clear what you're doing. I, I hear, I hear I can water smell slapping. What you're doing. Um, Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can fix this in editing. It, it's, okay, I, I, I'm now I very alarmed that some of your listeners who did not see, were not around for the 80s, or maybe were kind of on the young side, that they're going to think that Over the Top and Roadhouse are comedies. <laughs> they are not. <laughs> the, the self-aware... They were not originally. Yeah, the self-aware movie that like makes fun of Hollywood tropes. The 80s, that was not a thing. 
it, right. it's they they made these movies well with last action hero came out and we fucking hated it it came out we're like oh, no 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 we don't make fun of these things it was these 90s, are, wasn't it yeah i mean it was post 80s but like that was pretty much the first one i think that was like guys this is all this stuff we're doing is ridiculous right let's make fun of it and we're like no 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 come back no, in about you, 10 years yeah. and we'll be ready to have that conversation right right now we're no, we we will watch a movie about a, a high class wealthy uh, bouncer, uh, and we will just believe in that world. And and at the time I watched that movie, I was just sure this was a thing. It didn't even like, occur to I me. Wanna, it was yeah, I want to be. Right, a I believed. When I, I believed Karate Kid so hard that I thought that was like I just wanted to be karate when I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Did it work? Did you? I, I did true? so much. I did. No, I found out like I don't know, twelve years old, that karate doesn't work very well no. on like anything. Yeah, and uh, I had that, that experience. Yeah, just shattered my world. My first fight, I was like, oh, "This blocking is not working at all." When, when they're not like letting me get ready, I'm getting punched in the. Oh, I went face. for like high flying kicks and shit because oh. I thought that was more powerful, right? And that didn't work. Like the cooler it looks, the more powerful it is. No, no, it actually turns out that if you get like a flying spin and start screaming the name of the kick you're going to do, that it really prepares them for that kick. That's well, good to like, know. Because like, obviously when Karate Kid came out, the number of kids being enrolled in karate classes exploded like it happened. Like they started karate classes at like some local gym where I, in the tiny town where I live because every kid had to have karate classes. Mm-hmm. Now I took, I took Taekwondo but the very first day in class, like they're having you do this basic sparring against another kid. So I go in the corner and I like I wrap my fists and I put like glue on my fist and I rolled them in broken glass. <laughs> of course. And they're like, <laughs> oh, manner. you don't do that. And, and you're like, like the uh, fuck I don't. Yeah. It's Those like are night classes. You think on the street, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fight some guy without, you know, w- without gearing up in advance it's like no you're gonna take every and so that's i just walked out it's like this is bs yeah, this is bullshit yeah this is you a can't real. teach me anything i can teach you a little something <laughs> there's no sand on the floor where i can throw sand in the guy's eyes and then have them like overreact in an over the top way and then i can get the cheap shot in because my obviously i was going to be the bad guy karate guy like right. I, my goal was to be the villain in the karate movie do you know how shockingly low priority they put on doing the full splits in karate class like they didn't even ask that's the first thing we did in my karate class. Two guys just grab you by the ankles, and you're doing the full splits, whether you like it or not. Was that karate class? If you survive, you're in class. I don't think, thinking back, I don't think that was karate class. I'm mixing <laughs> it up. <laughs> but I invented a special Sean Baby's book game just for today's uh, oh, podcast. So we're going to play a round of this now. The way this one works is you reigning champion Broadway. <laughs> You, you did win that one game against yourself, but you've lost here to, both your guests. Here to defend the title. Yes. Uh, so I have a book in front of me called 1003 Great Things About Being a Woman. And oh, each God. of you is going to select a page between 1 and 316. And you will enter into the film Roadhouse with all of the abilities you have now, plus whatever superpowers you pick up from these woman abilities. So, Okay, I'm, I have no abilities right now. Well, you'll have two to three more woman abilities. Wait, I can ride a motorcycle. That's like a roadhouse yeah, ability. Yeah, that might come in handy. And uh, Okay. So the fuck can you do, Jason? <laughs> so this is to survive the film roadhouse using your skills plus the ones you get from this book. So, uh, Jason, you're our guest, so please select first between 1 and 316. 255. Mm, very confident guess. 
let's see what okay this is what this page says it's, again 1003 great things about being a woman womaner womantra womanhattan shelium shellicopter uh and going back this is from a chapter that's just called words we'd like to see so <laughs> <laughs> so womaner i imagine you now have the ability to poop like a woman which is to say you probably don't or if you do there's nobody else in the house uh womantra womantra uh i guess that would be like a, a meditation but for ladies uh womanhattan you'd have the powers of manhattan but for a woman so i would imagine it'd be excellent shopping great restaurants uh shelium which is uh lighter than air but for the ladies and of course a shellicopter which i think is very very strong that's a lady i think lady he helicopter. mostly he has the ability to add one or two letters to a word and make it worse or <laughs> that might be the only ability we get from this this is i should mention a really fucking stupid book for so. fans of mine who are joining the first this is your first episode of the one nine thousand uh, hot dog dog <laughs> zone podcast um <laughs> thank you for sean, getting that name right sean has a vast library of books that are often titled things like 1001 blank 1001 right. places to have sex 1001 tips to liven up your love life something like that mm -hmm. And these are cheap cash grabs that publishers crank these things out over the last decades where the author spent maybe a week writing their list of a thousand things. And each one of them, they only had about 27 ideas. Right. And then have to think up another 973 <laughs> that are either repeating the same idea over and over. And then somewhere around halfway through the book, they, they descend into utter nonsense <laughs> they'll find like That's little tricks to get a whole bunch out of it like this this lady's like just let's take some names that have a male sort of suffix and change it to a lady suffix that's yeah i need a fucking million entries out of that yeah she's been up for like 72 hours <laughs> just trying to think of anything about women this is why i picked a just, page number that happening. was fairly late in the book right it, or a, an item number because i knew that was Strategy, well beyond like they had come they had actually used up their clever ideas and these are books where the editor doesn't even look at them. They will repeat yeah. pages. There'll yes. be like like entire words missing. They don't even flip through it. It just goes on the shelf. People <laughs> buy them as gag gifts or something. And then, and this has been an entire industry. And Sean collects these because they are all amazing in their own way. Because when you see a very untalented writer trying to stretch a premise <laughs> uh, like the hardest thing you might ever have to do i don't know why there are so many and they always pick it because that is that is a nightmare for a writer yeah we couldn't get a thousand I good never. things about whatever the stupid premise was. i'm guessing it was i would by like a man. four uh, so anyway, that, that's where, that's why he didn't just pull this off. He, he has an entire, I assume an entire building that's just a vast library full of these because he has it's an endless supply now, yeah. of them. Uh, I'm going to take the same tactic as Jason, except I'm going to go the opposite way. I want 42 because I think it's early mm -hmm. enough you might that get they'll like... still be giving me useful tips that I can use to conquer okay. my way up the bouncing ladder. This is from a section called what we'll never know. So you might've actually... You, you, you might be losing superpowers on this. Uh, you'll never know. God, I'm so bad at what's this. What's so great about the Matrix? Why Armani costs so much less in Milan than it does in Florence than it does at the Mall of America? How to convert to centigrade and how to convert to kilos. So you actually just lost some 
specialized skills that I lost valuable knowledge. Yeah. I need that Armani shit <laughs> in, if I'm going to survive the deadliest bar in Missouri. What's the premise of oh, the they're going to ask me about no like where I got my Armani? The Matrix. Uh, I just I, the I, idea is that women don't get why it's good. That's oh. the, that's a lot of the book is like gender stereotypes that you would probably yeah I feel like this is a little sexist. Yeah, you would tell someone if you're in a writer's room of like, hey, we're going to do like sort of a romantic comedy with a lot of like you know gender stereotypes. Here's the ones we want to stay away from because they're so fucking tired and stupid. Like that's what it this is, book would look like. It is frankly shocking that I managed to lose that round. <laughs> just, it is just just for my edification, what is the very first item in this book? Okay, let's where, see. Where do they start from? That's your turn. That's your turn. <laughs> I need uh, I need every little bit I get, man. Come you on. and the children go first in the lifeboat. So, um, kind of like <laughs> the first thing you'd think of, I guess. It's appropriate. But that does give you the ability, by the rules of the game, to always escape a scenario first. If that's true. That would have been um, a probably useful power in Roadhouse. I mean, this is, there's no contest. Jason won that <sighs> so easily. He beat. actually came out of that as a lady helicopter, and you actually like forgot how to fucking do pounds to kilos. I forgot temperatures. <laughs> yeah, I, so, I forgot like basic math. Congratulations! Uh, that's... And now, and now he can escape first. That's great. Well, yep. plus the ending of Roadhouse. The main, and not to spoil Roadhouse for people who wanted to go watch it. But the main villain is defeated because they discover his weakness, which is being shot in the torso with a shotgun four times. Right. <laughs> like, I actually have... It turns out even the rich can't take shotgun blasts yeah, repeatedly. I actually have they that ability because after an entire movie of, like, melee combat, they, somebody finally finds a shotgun in Missouri. Right. Uh, I actually have the ability to fire a shotgun. I've done it before. Oh. So I feel like just bringing that plus anything else would help me win Roadhouse. Because I could do... Yeah, you're the end boss. I would do the Road same House. thing they did, only I would do it right away. Yeah. He's been it's terrorizing like this, this town forever. No one thought to just go to his house and shoot him. Yeah. And, and it, it works so out. So you're the There's... end boss of Roadhouse, and I'm the first guy that gets his ass kicked, <laughs> which means I'm the vagina kicker. Right? I think you're the panties yeah. on the vagina that gets kicked to establish the stakes of this bar. All right. And I'm again, sorry. I'm starting I'm, sorry I'm worried game. that the listeners think that I made up the vagina kicking thing. Please <laughs> go watch Roadhouse. I, I wouldn't make that up. That's yeah. it, that's exactly that's the first thing you see happen in the movie. The things happening in that opening scene at the bar are like unthinkable. Like this waitress is just sexually assaulted. She drops all of her drinks. Like it's the kind of thing that would shut a bar down. Like oh my god, this guy is a maniac. And that guy made my, the waitress drop my drink. I'm going to beat him up. And the vagina kick, I can't imagine seeing that and not, like, attacking that guy. And this is in the bar that is post-repair. This is the one that he has successfully fixed up and is now ready to move on to his next bar. This, like, this is the level of violence right. after he's got it under control. This is the well, fancy New York Well, she didn't die bar. from being kicked in the vagina. She, she survived that. I mean, certainly physical therapy, but that's, that's an improvement. <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's that very night that that Dalton leaves that bar because he has nothing further to do there. <laughs> I have nothing more to teach you. It's the place. That was my last lesson. Don't kick women in the machine. vagina. Okay, we should move on to the next Roadhouse movie. I, I agree. The, the next over the top the over the top movie. Oh yeah. damn it! No, they're Roadhouse movies now. Welcome back to the Joe Rogan Experience. We're talking about sidekick and gorillas. <laughs> Sidekick gorillas. Okay, Do you at want point, one? I want one. Have we started doing the podcast again? Because sure, it's all the podcast. We need to come up with like a, a, a cleaner. <laughs> we're back. Hey, something. speaking of gorillas, there was a. Uh, 
Donkey Kong, right? And that's a Nintendo game. And that brings us to our next movie, The Wizard. The Wizard. That's a right? fantastic transition. That was, come on, that was actually pretty I, good, right? I'm not kidding, that's good. That's Joe Rogan. All right, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring the wizard the 1989 Fred Savage vehicle the best kind of vehicle uh, same year as Roadhouse it really feels like you could see over the top sort of changing the world one year at a time mm-hmm. and 1989 was really hitting on all cylinders and like I was torn on bringing the wizard because it's kind of come true now like 30 years later. Now the wizard is kind of happening. Now you would kind of believe the wizard. But I want to stress, the plot of the wizard in 1989 was fucking absurd. And that plot is that there is a, a family that has been separated. They divorced. Cause nobody in the 80s could handle a divorce. That was the worst thing that ever happened to anybody in the 80s. Uh, and one child, Corey, Fred Savage, goes with his father, and another child, Jimmy, goes with his mother, and something happened to Jimmy, we don't find out until later, that turned him basically autistic before we had a word for autistic. Mm-hmm. Very nonverbal. And, uh, very good at being a Yeah, very nonverbal, and like, certain ma- things set him off. Magic. Right. Like you were magical. Yeah. And, and very much magic. Like, everybody, everybody that had a mental disability in the 80s was also magic at something. Right. Like, that was your like trade-off. You could fly, or you were powder. You almost weren't allowed to be super good at something without exchanging it for a mental disability in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy's was Nintendo. So Corey, Fred Savage's brother, goes to break him out of the home where he's been institutionalized because he thinks if he takes him to, to California, which he's obsessed with, it'll, it'll fix everything. And along the way, he discovers how good Jimmy is at Nintendo. And he, he thinks in what is possibly the best child logic i've seen on film that if his parents find out how good jimmy is at nintendo he won't need to be institutionalized yeah, anymore. those are the stakes and they made those are, so those are the stakes those are the stakes of the movie is that if he wins at nintendo he doesn't have to live in what is essentially a child's insane asylum <laughs> and that's when you put it like that it sounds crazy <laughs> that's the real plot of a movie yeah. with like very little embellishment on my part. And this is actually closer to the over-the-top genre than Roadhouse because mm-hmm. it's got like it's literally the same. Like they're trying to get to a big Nintendo. What is it? A big tournament oh, yeah. or whatever. It's got the road movie aspect. It's mm-hmm. got the family. And it's, it's got, got like the the, um, the traveling hustle. Like they're sort of like, oh, we don't have yeah, any money, that's but the, that's don't worry key. about it. Next stop we make, we'll we'll use our Nintendo skills to get some money. Yeah, it is like a beat for beat steal from over the top. They do everything along that way. Like they they have the relationship at stake that's not you know officially on the line, but it's it's, it's everything, and it all rides on this final contest. I think one uh, of the things that the sticks out reversed, to me, the little brother, about the wizard is that it, it's kind of like a Law and Order episode when they sort of do something like like they go to a convention and, and it, it kind of gets everything wrong. Like, you know when you're watching one of those uh, CSI shows? It's called Furry Con. Right, right. And it, they, they, hit, they eventually get to a hobby that's your hobby, and they're like, this is not how people in this hobby talk. And that's kind of how the movie is, where, like, the dad's like, I've got the scroll weapon. And you're like, that's not really how you would yeah, do the, that. They show all sorts of shit. Like, they keep showing them play these games, and, like, people did play games for scores in, like, certain sections, but at one point, he's playing Metroid right. in an arcade yeah. for score. I like anything you know about video games, every part of that is wrong. Right. I like all of the games. We're playing Ninja Gaiden in a championship. 
It's, it's a single player game and it's not score based. <laughs> yeah, which again, we're playing Double Dragon. That now, does have a score. Oh uh, yeah, but like now the the Ninja Gaiden speed running scene is a thing, and people mm-hmm. probably do. Make it is. It came now. true. But in 1989, again, the Nintendo Entertainment System only came out in 1986 in America. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not in every single household at that point. So the idea of that there's this this sprawling subculture where everywhere you go, you're judged by your top-notch Nintendo skills. And then the fact that at one point they whip out the power glove as like the thing that's going <laughs> to put you over the top instead of making every game impossible to play. Right. Yeah, the power glove had two stations, and that was like go left forever or suddenly Tez turned off and like in the movie in the movie he's like virtually steering a wheel and it's tracking like the wheel motions and he like kind of points and it goes faster and like, it was your first introduction to this thing and it promised everything I can guarantee and it, it did not do that in real life heartbreaking it was uh, no I, I got mm-hmm. one at one point like a couple of years after it was cool of course because we were not rich but it was just the worst goddamn thing you could ever Very try. Sad. And I had a power pad as well. And that, that was, wasn't it so was bad. worse than the power pad. I didn't use yeah. it a lot, but I, I liked the idea of it. It caught a hop. <laughs> you could hop and it would it would catch that. And like Power Glove could not. Right. But anyway, anyway. Um the early hustle is the over the top progression. It goes from the early hustle to like their championship video game to like we've redeemed this relationship. With video games. But the early hustle, the first people, the very first people we see them beating and hustling are 60-year-old traveling (laughs) salesmen they see in a bar that also has an arcade. Yeah. None of which happened. Like, I was was a kid in 1989, and I can tell you even kids in 1989, they were still beating me up for admitting that I like Nintendo. Like, all of us like Nintendo. But you couldn't admit it, or you would get beat up. And these 60-year-old salesmen... Are playing, I don't know, I think Double Dragon or something. Yeah, it was, I think, the Nintendo like, version of Double Dragon in the arcade. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they they see him, and, and Fred Savage's character, I think his name is Corey, goes like, oh, salesman. Perfect. <laughs> like, he... That implies so right much. That Nintendo line implies so much. Right? Like, not only are traveling salesmen famous, famous for their love of arcade games in 1989... But also their willingness to gamble large amounts mm-hmm. of money against young yes, children. children. And they're also apparently famous for how bad they are <laughs> at that ensuing game. Yeah. Right. Where, and, and so, of course, he, he goes on to beat the holy shit out of them. And then they're like, oh, geez, wow, you know. Oh, Jim, we'll try again next time. Like, they just wander the country playing children and losing in video If I games. lost to a child and found out he was magic, I wouldn't pay up. I'd, I'd fucking welch on that bet. I'd say, this, oh, this is that- a hustle. It's that kid. That kid's oh, magic. That kid's like mentally disabled or something. You didn't tell me he was mentally disabled. That's not fair. This is fucked up. I'm going to call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> also, we need to touch on briefly the whole 80s thing of kids doing something that in the real world you assume would have gotten them murdered. Right. Because, you know, they would just go out on their own on their bicycles and go interact with strange adults and do all sorts of well, things. So. The- the premise of this movie is that they, they leave their parents behind and they hitchhike across the country solo as three 12-year-old and younger children. Which is a whole genre. Constantly being... The little kids going off yeah. on their own on an adventure. That mm-hmm. was an entire genre. And hitchhiking, specifically hitchhiking and being picked up by strangers and everything's okay. That was the message we wanted to tell them. At, at no point did any of these hitchhikers 
try anything or act unseemly except like one 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 car like robs them of their money and it's like forty dollars right. and then they just leave them they like it's like the gentlest robbery they're just like oh give me that money all right see you later and and again i anyway, know that's... this movie is not going to have like a child molestation scene i'm not expecting <laughs> it to it's just that they did were close though <laughs> yeah they did they reference it there was there was that child bounty hunter, which again, not a career, pretty sure. Pretty sure there's no bounty hunter for children, and his job was to kidnap them before they reached the, the contest. <laughs> and what was astonishing about the movie was how many times he would run into like a public place. They're in like a restaurant, and he would just like grab a child and run away, and the child was screaming, and like nobody would bat an eye. Everybody's like, Yeah, this is fine. Like she had to specifically say hey, that guy touched my breast. And then people were like, wait, that guy running off with that child, like holding him by the crotch? Okay. That's not a good you, guy. You need to rewind because there's some people in the listenership who've never seen this movie or else don't remember it or have blacked out the memory. I need you to describe the context of the child saying he touched my breast. This is a real scene in the movie. Please <laughs> paint a picture of that scene. All right, they're in Reno. The writers in a, of The Wizard and give the full context. They're in the massive arcade in Reno and he, he's playing his games... Uh, I can only say autistically. Jesus. <laughs> we'll fix that in editing too. No, but that's that, <laughs> well, that, that is what the movie that's that's how that's they did the it movie. in the 80s. If you were autistic, right. I am not saying secret it. I do not have He did find like a secret that. in Super Mario Brothers 3 that you absolutely would never find without knowing it was there. The game came out. Yeah. The game came out that day. Nobody had ever seen it before, but because he has a mental disability, he has a superpower. See, that's the thing I think is mm-hmm. problematic. I don't think me me calling that out. <laughs> sure, I think he means it in stay. a clinical way. Everybody, yes. <laughs> uh, and the bounty hunter runs up and and quite literally grabs him by the crotch <laughs> and lifts him in the air, and starts running away. And he's screaming. And Haley, the the girl in the movie, pauses in the middle of the casino and yells, "That man touched my breast!" And then like everything stops. Yeah. It did not stop for him lifting the child by the crotch and running out with him while he screams. Nobody cared. <laughs> but but once she says that, everything stops and like later truckers chase him down and just uh well, he comes back alive, but basically murder him. Right. For for this false rape report that she issues, which is another And how old is she how old is this character the the one the She's girl? like well, I want to say 13. Yeah, 13. yeah, around there. 13, uh, which is why like I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. Don't hire child bounty hunters, guys. It's just, it's never worth it. You know, you don't know where they come from. And so you if you're a child hitchhiking across America, if you run into older men offering to, like, bet you something, and if they can beat you in a video game, don't take the bet. Mm. There's no, there's actually no, there's actually no winning. Because even if you win, they're going to say, oh, I've got the prize out. It's out in the trunk of my car. That's definitely true. You have to crawl in there. You have to crawl in there and get it. Mm-hmm. You're not coming back from that alive. And that's that's my problem with this movie. It teaches it teaches a lesson that I I hope many children. Yeah, this did is not like disappear. a movie specifically designed to kill children. I feel like if you, if I had to give a child advice on like how to commit suicide in a way that does not violate an insurance policy, I would be like, Have you watched The Wizard? Every '80s movie, Goonies was like. Hey, if you go down into yeah, a well the or the, the local cave, there's probably gold in there. <laughs> if it don't always, don't tell mom always dad. trust mutants. I don't know how he survived. Anyway, they, I, I want to. 
I want to touch before we leave. I want to touch on the big competition, uh, which was called Video Armageddon, whose prize was fifty thousand dollars for video games, who had like a multi hundred thousand dollar set that were designed for this one time competition. And I believe the announcer from Beyond Thunderdome, the Thunderdome announcer, I, I think that might be the same guy. Or if not, he's definitely jacking the vibe. Where he's like weirdly solemn and also super antagonistic. And every single person in that arena, because it is an arena that is totally full. Right. Oh, instead really of like, parents. like a strip mall arcade with sticky carpet and like one bored teenager who's not paying attention. Because that's every video game competition right. I've been to as a kid. I did go to the uh, Nintendo but no, World there was Championships. Like a thousand people. It, there was some spectacle there. And it was around 1989. Oh, yeah? When, when was that? It was about 1989. 1989? So this, therefore, everything in the movie is true. Are you trying it's to undermine true. Brockway's entire premise? There was no $50,000 prize. If I recall, I think you got like, you know, less than a thousand if there was any cash prize at all. Yeah, you got like a Nintendo. You probably got like a college certificate for 500 bucks or something. My last favorite detail before we move on, now that you've completely destroyed <laughs> everything I've been talking about. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just deleting all of my notes. Uh, except, for, except for just shame. I've got the word shame. In just, really, uh, just unrelated to the, to the movie. But uh, <laughs> before we leave that entirely, my favorite quote from the movie is when they're, when they're brushing up to like, go to this competition, they call the Nintendo Power Hotline and Haley just stays on it for like two days straight, which would be... Far more than the fifty thousand dollars prize <laughs> yeah. money, uh, but he, and also that she gets the same patient man who drops his entire life to spend two days straight on the phone, like frantically working her through every video game. Yeah. Uh, before they find out, like what they have to do, they find out like he has to get good at potentially it could be any game, and they, they go right get good at every video so game. So they just call the guy and have him conversationally explain every single game on Nintendo. And that, right, and he and he yeah. did. He dropped his whole life to do that because he was passionate. Amazing. But the the quote was a, uh, "Get good at every video game in three days. There must be seventy. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what 1981 was. So good. So 1989. Two things. One, I love the idea of this giant competition taking place at an era when hardly any kids had played these games, and then also they don't tell you what game you're going to be playing. Right. So you could have like this $50,000 prize or whatever it was. And then it's between like two people who are, like, they don't even know the controls. <laughs> like they don't even know what the goal of the game is. And so they're just like trying to. The first minute is just him being like, is this jump? Yeah. Oh, you're like no, trying to, no, jump. they've got the, the jump and, and attack buttons reversed. I keep screwing it up. And it's like falling off the ledge and stuff. Like you can fall. I didn't know you could. And then two of the <laughs> other things. Just eight minutes is, of that. And then I guess we <laughs> oh, have yeah. to declare this one the winner. <laughs> Um, because there wasn't like stage this one. upper high level Nintendo gaming scene at the, in 1989. Right. I'm sure it wasn't. It had to be, and then the whole twist that it's like, no, you have to. We're gonna spring it on you. It's it's gonna be like an Iron Chef thing where you're gonna be surprised by what game you you play in the, in the finals. That's great. Right, because that's what video game skills are like. Uh, right. You must be able to like pick up any game, like a masterful chef could make something with any ingredient. Yeah, it has nothing to do with memorizing the map or shortcuts or anything else. It's it's like that. This would be a high level competition. Is just it'd be it'd be like having an arm wrestling thing between like two random people. You you just pick out of the audience and make them arm wrestle. And then the final round is you actually have to fist fight. 
but <laughs> um, the other thing I like is the idea of being in an arcade because I did spend some time in eighties arcades. I, I don't know if you guys did, but and you're sitting there and you got your quarters, and then you're behind a guy playing Metroid. <laughs> Right, he just like, plays all the way. It's through. like seventeen hours later. <laughs> yeah. He's just backtracking, backtracking. Can't figure out how to get through this fucking little nook. Oh, oh you got the high score on Metro. He's trying to find like all the little hidden areas where you glitch through the map and all that stuff, and you're just sitting there. All right, waiting I got for the your... missiles. It's time to walk back across the entire map. Like how... Waiting for your turn. Oh, so <laughs> mad. Yeah, he has. It cost him twenty five cents. He's been playing all week. Well, I think we're ready for the book game to see who would win. Uh, oh, God damn it. It's not even over. My humiliation has to continue. <laughs> we have to drink You have to win this or you're going to lose the whole day. So, desperate times, you're going to select first. Remember, you have all of your skills. Uh, would you say you're all right, one to th- between the two of you who is better at video games? It might be a wash, right? Probably. It's got to be Broncway. Because you play I'm like not very good. you play like Destiny. You play like fast twitch games. You've got like the ref- the game of reflexes. Right, but I'm not very good at them. <laughs> I'm I'm extremely like I like them. I'm I'm the guy who gets the game. I turn the, the like the difficulty down to easy immediately, and so I can just coast through it. Like I I don't. It's got. Well, be. Sean's the only person here that's good at video games. <laughs> I don't know why we're even talking. I'm not in the competition, though. We just, we don't even I would have done really well in the wizard. Because I'm I'm nonverbal. I do talk to a lot of strange businessmen when I'm a child. I am just great at being lifted by the crotch. I've got crotch reinforcements. (laughs) I did. My dick is like a handle. I have a few months of pro wrestling training. I've had many strong hands on my crotch. All right. uh, One to 316, right? Pick... 77. Okay, so you have all your powers plus... Um, what is the start of this chapter? Which is motorcycles and nothing. <laughs> the chapter's called Why We Can't Get Rid of Anything in Our Closets. <laughs> so, Exhibit A in my lawsuit against the dry cleaner. Do you have to read it? Is it right to give the homeless cruise wear with a missing belt? Never wore it, never will, but too expensive to throw out. <laughs> I honestly don't know what the fuck any of that means. But a person... I believe it would be taunting the I homeless. I think one of them is taunting the homeless, which I think would come in handy in an 80s movie. Uh, no, I think that would get me fucking annihilated in the first few minutes of Roadhouse. I'd be the vagina kicker, like taunting the homeless guy because of his lack of a belt. And then Patrick Swayze would come in and just Well, no, like, you're in the movie The Wizard now. Rip you're out not of, in yeah, the movie you're Roadhouse. You're not in Roadhouse. You're in The Wizard. Oh, right. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in The Wizard. So I'm taunting the homeless in front of children who are very good at video games the rules of sean's Again, game are like so it's... clear i don't know why you don't get it <laughs> this is I'm by really far the strangest this. game we've had you're right <laughs> i can't imagine that serving me very well in the world of the wizard i think you just picked a weird page i don't know what you're getting out of this other than taunting the homeless so this yeah, you're in a lot power. of trouble here. I can here, ride so. motorcycles and taunt the homeless at the same time. I have so, to ask, why like, did you I impose the them. page 316 or the item 316 limitation on this? They're Were not you afraid? They're not numbered, so uh, I'm reading pages <laughs> instead of actual uh, tips. Oh, okay. Because uh, I don't even know if there's 1,003. I should actually check and make sure. I bet, I bet it's not. Nobody has ever checked. There's like... 40. Most of the times I read these books, I'm yeah. quite sure I'm the first person that's ever fucking read them all the way through. It takes like six minutes, but like they clearly don't have an editor. Well, they usually have one item per page. They're, it, it's not always a thousand, but it, like they, right. they really try to space out the amount of white space in the mm-hmm. book. It, there's not yeah, a lot of giant text. This. 
Okay, I'm gonna like some clip art. I'm gonna pick the very final tip on the very final page. Okay. Men just don't get it the way women do. Wow. So, <laughs> so I guess if we have to translate that into like your new abilities, you like have forgotten everything you know as a man. So I, but but know everything a woman right. does. And the woman in, in fact, this movie which might be a superpower a, in the world she, of the she wizard. She did a fake sexual assault accusation. Is the only thing a female character and saved does the day in the wizard. Whew. You know what? I'm going to give it to Brockway because I think Jason's choice actually undid everything he brought to it as a man. Oh my God. Thank God. So you're still in thank it. God. It's one to one now. All right. I can dr- rapid drive by homeless taunting is what won the day here. I know people who are of a certain age who will not watch what they consider old movies mm-hmm. and anything from the eighties they consider an old movie. Fair enough. I really want to emphasize again. The extremely, extremely problematic things we're bringing up. These are in the movie. Right. It's yeah. none, none of the three of us would have made up a joke about a 12-year-old girl accusing a man of rape in order to get out of a comedy slapstick scene as, as occurs. That's, that's in as, the movie. As a lighthearted solution We're, we're to citing that scene. the event of the film. It, it, there's actually no <laughs> way to discuss this without, without getting into that. It would be a glaring omission. Now, why... Why Sean chose to focus on this decade for his entire life's work, that's a separate question. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to have... announce that my movie that I selected today for my over-the-top movie is from the year 2000, which is at least oh, and we five didn't years have away any problems When everything was yeah. better. So um, I think my movie is a very special one, and I also think not a lot of people have seen this. It's called Duets, and this was um, a Gwyneth Paltrow, Huey Lewis movie. It was originally going to be uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt, but then they uh, their relationship fell apart. I think they were dating or married at the time, maybe. And next logical right. choice. Well, actually, the the Pat, Brad Pitt part was uh, played by Scott Speedman, who you may know. He's been at some stuff, but he sort of looks like Brad Pitt. He's very likely been called the poor man's Brad Pitt before this, and this couldn't have been good for his self-esteem. And then all of the romance was written out of it. So he's sort of in the movie... But it's now it's mainly a movie about Gwyneth Paltrow reuniting with Huey Lewis, who is her father. So uh, let me take you through duets, which I think is the perfect over-the-top movie of karaoke. Uh, because that's what this movie is about. It's about karaoke as a spectacle and as a, a hustling, a way to make money. Uh, it's very insane. So um, it was directed by Gwyneth Paltrow's father. And it was written by a man named John Byram who was a Sesame Street writer before he like just became recognized for his talent and they would just sort of hire him to write a movie if someone says, hey, I want to I want to write this kind of a movie, get me a talented, competent guy. So someone said, we're going to make a fucking karaoke movie, get me that guy. And he did. Uh, okay, so it, it opens up with uh, a guy named Lachlan Monroe, you've probably also seen in many films, and he is uh, the huge swinging dick of this uh karaoke bar and he's got like a big sequined red jacket he's like the biggest fish in a very small pond and Huey Lewis uh just starts hustling him because that's Huey Lewis's bit is he goes from bar to bar making his money as a karaoke hustler you might have noticed that that is not a thing that even could conceivably be so he meets this guy I'm not trying to interrupt you in your summary but can, can you clarify 
in this in the this universe are people gambling on the karaoke? Okay, they are gambling They're, on karaoke. I've not seen it. You two have both seen this large movie. Oh, large fantastic. sums of money. Okay, yeah. So uh, karaoke. In the, in the movie, generally, there's a prize for being the best at karaoke. So, like, you'd come to the bar and you'd say, what's the money tonight? And they would say... Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Shade Hut? <laughs> right, you go to the Shade Hut. And there's a lot of weird vernacular that I, I swear they made up for this fucking movie. Yeah, they made up a karaoke yeah. language to go with the karaoke hustlers. <laughs> Not the world of karaoke, but specifically karaoke hustling The high slang. stakes, big Or as I world. call them... Yes. K-heads. They call yes. them K-heads. So this, no. this K-head that Huey K-talk. Lewis is What's the K-talk? He's, he says, I make $1,000 a month at karaoke. And that's on top of what he makes at the meatpacking plant. And so, like, he's, he's rolling in it. So Huey Lewis is like, what do you call this shit? Karate-yoki? And Huey Lewis is kind of a, not a talented actor, but he's playing a guy who doesn't give a shit, which is exactly <laughs> what I imagine Huey Lewis was when he was called to play this role. So he's just fucking does not give a shit he's completely disinterested in every line he's reading he pulls out 690 bucks and the other guy can match that with the stuff in his wallet this guy is such a karaoke high roller that he's just walking around flush from that karaoke cash karaoke cash and K-cash. so huey lewis gets up on the stage and you you might know that huey lewis is a fucking great and charismatic singer so he lights up the place and they all love him and one of the women actually leaves her husband in the middle of his song and the scene cuts to her fucking Huey Lewis singing the song that he was singing that got her to leave her husband. It's it's amazing, and that's how that's how good this movie is. Yeah, the sex scene with her singing the song that he yeah. sang to him in yeah. his face as she fucks him, and that's that's the opening scene. That's the first what what, what would you say five, five minutes? minutes? Easy, like that's it. All of this happens to let you know, like if you're good at karaoke in this world, not only do you make a ton of money. But like just women will throw their lives away to jump on your dick and sing the song that you sang at karaoke. Like she must have been doing that the whole car ride to her place, the whole time they were having sex. Yeah, that was the that was like he was firmly into the middle of the song at that point. So she had at least been singing that into his face for like two and a half minutes. And he has maintained an erection while being uh, I got got the feeling they were having sex for like a long time. Like we're talking hour, hour and a half. The whole time, just from the top. I'm feeling all right. Uh-huh. We, we're going to have to edit that out. We didn't, uh, we can't afford the rights to that song. Um. <laughs> not, not, even to, not even that much of it. I know that's free. We can't afford it. So now let me talk, talk to you about the other um, characters in this movie. Because this is like an ensemble movie where all of these characters are sort of brought together through their own karaoke journeys to like a final karaoke destination. All karaoke hustlers. Yes, they're all karaoke hustlers. So Paul Giamatti, he is uh, a disaster. He's like a salesman and he's like in the wrong city because he's just on a different flight every day and he lost track of time. Who was actually in the movie. John dies at the end. Movie virgin. Met him at Sundance. Nice guy. Personal connection. A fan. He was in this movie. He's a fantastic actor. And he is, I want to say his acting is good in this movie, but his singing is so bad. His, uh, it's just... Um, not, it's not like he's a bad singer, but it's almost like he's doing sort of a bit character from an Adam Sandler movie about karaoke. Like if Adam Sandler was like, look at this guy! And it would cut to the stage and Paul Giamatti is doing what like that guy would be doing. Someone who's just too absurd to even imagine. 
Uh, but in the movie, he's supposed to be absolutely. They love it. Top of, top he, of yeah, the he game. wins. Yeah. He wins cost. He wins contest after contest. So uh, after after of course after karaoke utterly destroys his <laughs> life immediately <laughs> the first time. So Paul Giamatti has a terrible family. They all ignore him when he comes back from his business trip, and his wife doesn't like him. So he just walks out on his life, and that's it. And that's um, that's Paul Giamatti. After story. I should say to specify. He tries karaoke one time and realizes that his entire life is a right. lie and karaoke is the answer. Exactly. And he abandons his whole life, becomes addicted to every drug he can find, immediately changes his entire persona and goes on the road to live karaoke Just hustling. A, because he sang karaoke once. Just a two-week karaoke after, No sleep. After, after getting, no joke, karaoke-enhancing drugs. Yes. That's what started it. <laughs> <laughs> so the other character we meet is scott speedman who is a cab driver and he picks up uh, an old lady from prison and she's a third grade teacher and they recognize each other and she says you never live up to your potential like this is how efficient this screenwriter is that he can jam in this kind of exposition through uh completely insane circumstances so we're learning Wait, who, so who much. was in prison who got the, picked just up some prison? old lady he's just a cab driver who went to the prison to pick up somebody getting out of prison it turns out the old lady is a prisoner who is like 34 <laughs> right. she's supposed to be an old yeah, lady they kind of did some makeup on her but yeah that's the kind of movie we're in where where every single line is so like meticulously written to deliver as much exposition and advance the plot as much as possible like I want to say, like, I don't think this movie is bad. It's just based on such an absurd premise that, like, you can't ever take it seriously. But you could use this yeah, it's at, like, to teach a screenwriting class if you wanted, of, like, how to advance the plot and, and sneak in information and, and character development. The efficiency in which it makes an insane movie right. is just off the it's, charts. This is the most efficient way to make the strangest fucking movie. We are just tumbling through the insanity. So now, Huey Lewis meets his daughter... Uh, at the funeral of her mother and his ex. And he'd like walked out on them when she was like three years old. So they don't know each other. And I think they try to fuck each other. Like she's uh, like over, like yeah, over and on the, the mother's like, coffin. open casket. She's like, could you just hold me? This is Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, by the way, Gwyneth Paltrow. So he's pulling the old game of Thrones. And she's flirting with him. She's like, Ooh, I think I'd remember you. Like, it's very strange that there's a lot of sexual chemistry. And then her grandmother walks in, who of course knows them both. And it's Angie Dickinson, and she's like, oh, hey, that's your dad. And they're both like, oh, my God, thank God you came here, because we were wicked, about wicked. to fuck what? on this dead body. And uh, that's how we meet those two. Um, Again, we are maybe 10 Yeah, like, in? we're just meeting characters. And, like, <laughs> it's, we're going to be here all night, because that's how dense the screenplay is. And it's all important. I can't really skip anything, and especially since Jason hasn't seen this. Okay. So <laughs> then why didn't we make the whole episode about this movie? Why did we waste like an hour and a half talking about this other nonsense? You, you have a good point. Jesus Christ. Because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> this is episode four. What are you expecting? It's the fourth time I've ever even talked into a microphone. The first time I've talked about duets and I'm having a great time, gentlemen. This is the fourth podcast I have ever listened to. <laughs> so Angie Dickinson gives Huey Lewis the, the mission to like fix Gwyneth Paltrow's life because uh, I want to say that Gwyneth Paltrow, who's very obviously like an affluent, like pretty lady, is playing like a, a Vegas dirtbag. Like she she's supposed to be like this super naive 
like white trash character, but it's Gwyneth Paltrow. And she's like 28 years old when they made this. And she's got these pigtails. And you're like, what is she like mentally challenged? She is playing 16. Yeah, she's playing 16 for sure. It's fucking weird. And so she joins him on the karaoke hustle tour. Uh, because, as yeah, you do, why not? And, and now he has this new mission to turn her life around while he's hustling karaoke. So now Paul Giamatti finds karaoke. We kind of we will skip past this. We talked about this already. But um, it is a pretty fast, a fantastic introduction to karaoke because he has no idea what it is. And this very flirty, bubbly girl, like, literally throws him on stage after giving him some beta blockers to take away his stage fright. Which she, which she bills as karaoke. Karaoke and dancing drugs. And then kisses him on the mouth to just, you know, loosen him up. He gets on the stage. He has no idea what they're going to put on. And they put on, of course, the crowd pleaser, Hello, It's Me by Todd Rundgren. Who, of course, we all know that song. You start singing Todd Rundgren, everybody knows it and loves it. Right. Uh, uh, h- hello, it's me. me. Yep, that it is. Again. Again. I think that's the next word. He fucks it all up. They have to start the song I'm, over and explain I'm, I'm how karaoke works. And he just, the, the crowd goes crazy. And he is like taking off his jacket and he's switching the microphone one hand to the other. And they fucking everything he does. They love it. That's it. Now, now he's hooked. That he's a karaoke junkie. Now we get Maria Bello, because we're still not even done with the main characters of the movie. She gets off a bus, and she is a, not a prostitute, but a karaoke hustler who will perform sexual acts to get favors or money or whatever. So she asks the first homeless veteran at the bus station where the karaoke bar is, and he's like, I have no fucking idea. The Shade Hut. (laughs) Yeah, she uses karaoke terms that he wouldn't know. And he doesn't know. So she takes his change. And that's how we meet her. She steals from the homeless. And now she's in search of a a karaoke bar to hustle in. So she goes to... To be fair, throughout the movie, there's only one thing she really emphasizes. And that's that she loves sucking dicks. (laughs) She just loves sucking dick for uh, money, goods, or services. She doesn't need money because she can suck dick. There's like a moment where, or that she leaves a cab or something, and uh, what's his name? Scott Speedman yeah. is in there, and he he's, he's like he basically says, "Hey, uh, get us a hotel room, but don't suck any dick." And like again, I'm paraphrasing only a little mm-hmm. bit. She looks back and is like, "Hey, I'm gonna suck some <laughs> don't dick." Don't tell me what to do, Speedman. I'm gonna get that dick in my mouth. That's her character. Yeah. That's her character trait. Is she loves and, sucking uh, dick. So she goes to a karaoke bar where there's one Japanese man uh, singing "What I Like About You." Just barely in English uh it seems very lonely and sad and and that's it it's just him and then Scott Speedman having a fight with his girlfriend who just cheated on him and she runs up to the bar and she says what's the person this shithole and I actually wrote down the quote um she says hey you got money up on the karaoke or is this some kind of shadow hang and he knows what she's talking about he's like (laughs) not today strictly barbers and phantoms which they do not explain. I don't know what those people are. Uh, they don't need to right. explain. I, mean, I assume you know. the Japanese businessman we is a phantom. Uh, because it doesn't seem like he has the energy of a barber. I guess. Right. So she screams, I'm marooned. Because her only plan was to sing in this karaoke bar for money. And now that she can't make that money, she's just fucked. She's... Because one would reasonably yeah. assume that any karaoke bar they go into, you will be able to sing a living <laughs> right. there. And so uh, Scott Speedman, who's just drunk out of his mind, she offers to have sex with him for a ride to California. 
and I think they're in Utah. They're, they're really far from California. And um, we're still not done with the main characters because Andre Brower is getting dumped off in Utah by a truck driver. Captain Holt. Yes, Captain Holt from, um, from 99. And so he holds up the truck driver with a gun and says, look, I'm sorry I have to do this, but the only skill I have is singing. And that's how we meet this character. The only black character. Right. Like, across the whole thing. Uh, wait, Maya Rudolph is in the movie, which I th- and I think she's uh, biracial. Wait, Maya Rudolph? She's the... the... I, there was so much <laughs> happening, I do not remember. Okay, so... Um, Paul Giamatti, who's on a bender, is just drug-eyed and drunk. And he's leaping his car over hills and driving on the wrong side of the highway. And Andre Brower is in the middle of the fucking desert by a 25-mile-per-hour speed sign, which had to have been a prop because, again, it's the middle of nowhere. And he screeches to a halt, and he's going to pick him up as a hitchhiker, but this white man is fucking on drugs. There's no way I'm getting in the car. Uh, But he is an escaped convict, so what choice does he have? Paul Giamatti explains... He knows. He knows the face of a man (laughs) whose life has been derailed by karaoke. You can just see it. Paul Giamatti is not only obviously on a bender... He is speaking a code that no one could understand. He's screaming, I scored some bennies off some shadow in a K-bar. And when Andre Brower looks at him like, I don't know what any of that means, Paul Giamatti screams, it's K-talk! Which means... It's K-talk, baby, <laughs> you means know. it's the language of the karaoke singers. And uh, no further explanation is given. Can you... Okay, I'm going to say something. If you can edit this into the beginning of the podcast... There, there should be a content warning here. If any of you listening, if you've lost <laughs> friends or family to karaoke mm-hmm. and had their lives be swallowed up by the, the siren song of the, the irresistible allure of karaoke. Mistress K, as we call her. Fortunes destroyed. Yeah, as we, as we all call her. Um, just please know this may be triggering to you because uh, obviously, you know, while, while we make light of the trauma depicted in this movie, who knows how many people so many have families. actually been lost to to uh, a lady to, to <laughs> R.I.P.K. The shadows the, in the, the K-bars. R.I.P.K. I don't want to use too much K-talk in case our listeners are not I've learned, barbers. I've known so many barbers that have turned into shadows and uh, <laughs> it just it haunts me at night. I can barely get the K-talk out of my head. <laughs> so now um, Huey Lewis is at his hotel. He's absolutely ditched Gwyneth Paltrow but she tracked him down by like calling around to hotels and asking for him. And so she just shows up at his room. Have you seen Huey Lewis? Say again? Have you seen Huey Lewis? Yeah. That's how you find yes, Huey Lewis? they're like, yeah, Huey Lewis is in room 402. Go ahead and head up there. And so she comes in and gives a long, rambling story about how she stayed with Wayne Newton uh, for a month. And Huey Lewis is like, you fucked Wayne Newton? She's like, no, it wasn't like that. And it's very clear that she might be a virgin. Like, she doesn't even seem to understand that it would be implied that she would have sex with Wayne Newton if she was <laughs> staying in his hotel room for a month. And so, again, this is a 28-year-old Gwyneth Paltrow playing... Vegas white trash, who is also like naive about sex. And um, so try to wrap your head around that. Now, all of these characters are convening on Omaha, where the final karaoke competition is taking place. And most... Right, they have to hustle their way there, as is the -the over-the-top way. So Maria Bello... They have to hustle and suck dick. (laughs) All the way yes. to Omaha, as is the over These the are one. destitute people. The only thing they have is karaoke. Paul Giamatti has walked away from his life. Andre Brower is on the run from the law. Mario Bello has nothing. And um, 
Scott Speedman is just giving her a ride. Scott Speedman, Scott Speedman doesn't actually sing karaoke in this movie. He's just there to kind of be the love interest in the original draft that got written out after uh, Brad Pitt dropped out of the movie. He's kind of a karaoke pimp. I, I suppose right? you like could call Like he kind of... He gets like a little bit of something somehow, and he protects her while she does her karaoke hustling. He's her karaoke, her international karaoke right. pimp. Yeah, Kim. He's a Kim. Paul Giamatti and Andre Brower just like screeched to a halt because they saw a karaoke bar. And of course, Andre Brower has no idea what it is, but he is a singer. And so Paul Giamatti shoves him up, and they sing uh, Try a Little Tenderness. Um, Again, to a screaming crowd, but Paul Giamatti is just kind of wailing it out, and Andre Brower is lip syncing someone else, like, you know, obviously singing very confidently. Uh, and it's for $50. Like, this is, this is how they're making their money. They keep doing the same story beat of a character not knowing what the hell karaoke is, like being thrust into karaoke, like, for the first time on stage. They also, uh, they win the $50. It's true. Sorry, take it. The, 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 Again, this is a very good screenplay, so there's cops there, and Andre Brower is sure they're there for them. But he walks up to Andre Brower and he says, I was going to like sing, but you guys are such good singers that we're not even going to try. And it's like, oh, they're not here to arrest me. They're here to tell me how great I am at singing. Because everybody from all walks of life lives karaoke. It's, uh, you may have That's explained this already. How do they decide who won the karaoke? That's a very good question because... It is absolutely not made clear in the movie. There's no applause meter. There's no judges. And in fact... You just know. You just know. Like with real karaoke, you just know. That guy won karaoke. Do you remember in um, Revenge of the Nerds when they perform their song and they just walk up and say, you're the grand champions of like the, the college Olympics? That's, that's how it works in this. Like You sing your song and if it's good, they come up and say you won. And okay. it might happen in the middle of the night. It might happen at the end of the night. Who knows? But like... And there is there is money attached to yes. winning, so it's just it's real. And real. Speaking arbitrary. of money, the next scene we go to is uh, Huey Lewis going uh, doing a hustle against some people in a bar. But now he's involved his daughter. Like the daughter Gwyneth Paltrow is over flirting with a guy, being like, "Oh, you must be the greatest karaoke singer in the world." And the guy has his karaoke Dead manager on there. Paltrow. Dead on. Thank you. Thank you. His manager is there, and I'm not sure you heard me. His karaoke manager is there. That's how fucking crazy this movie is. So, <laughs> so Huey Lewis like does the, the same K-Man. hustle. Like, hey, I bet this karateoki is all stupid. This is dumb. It's not even worth my time unless you have $1,000. He also, wait, no, there's another moment I really like here where he implies that their relationship is gay. Like, that he's not his karaoke manager, but his lover. And the guy... Immediately, Which would be far more reasonable. Right. But the young, the singer is like a young kind of buff guy, and the manager is like a middle-aged bald guy. And the middle-aged bald guy it looks like he's going to fuck up Huey Lewis, and the young buff guy stops him. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to fight. We're going to solve this on the karaoke stage. So <laughs> it's a K-O, Huey Lewis everybody. runs up to the KJ, sorry for the K-talk, and he hands her a CD, which I think is a... I think that's tipping your hand a little if you're trying to, like play this off like you've never heard of karaoke before and you're like here's my, my karaoke CD. custom karaoke cd so he puts it in and of course huey lewis just lights up the stage again he's a true talent and the guy knows it's a hustle so he just goes up and starts a fucking fist fight with huey lewis on the stage of the karaoke bar and to his credit huey lewis does his own fight scene which is more than steven seagal has done in 25 years so 
that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Human I've else. never seen this movie, but I would love it if that fight scene looked just like the raid. <laughs> like they are just destroying each other, just, just <laughs> picking up weapons. They gotta like watch some Jackie Chan outtakes of all of the people that were like intensely wounded. It's like in the dragging your face across glass and like just puncturing the guy's chest thirty six times with a knife. And but he found it is it is forty five minutes of the movie. Yeah, like he trained for a year for that for that one. Huey Lewis emerges from that like a bloody handprint on his face, no shirt, victorious, but he's lost his humanity. That's just how it goes. It's all part of the K lifestyle. It's K talk, baby. You got to know how to fight. But no, it is very implied that he does this a lot. Like, oftentimes these hustles will turn into fist fights. So he's a very confident fist fighter. And uh, anyway, like like you do, uh, you just cut to another scene. Who cares? You can get a fist fight in a bar. There's no consequences. And the next scene is Paul Giamatti shooting a gun into the furniture of a hotel because they would accept his frequent flyer miles. Like, he is fucking off the rails. And they run out. And um, let's see. Because he tried beta blockers and did karaoke. Beta blockers. (laughs) Yes, he's on some beta blockers. Not always prescription drugs. I mean, he's on he's on them now, but he gateways on beta blockers, beta blockers, which are the drugs that calm you down slightly. But still, far more sober than the average actual karaoke singer in the real world. Karaoke would not exist if. If prohibition had stayed in effect, that's, you know, so right. I, the I, idea should, that... I do want to make it clear that I, I've probably done karaoke in the top five percentile of people. Like I really enjoy karaoke and, uh, I was actually going to open a karaoke bar with my friends in San Francisco because we were doing it more than once a week to the point where it's like, maybe we should just like be more wise with our investment. It's, you know, like that's real, that's who I am. Oh, you so have I a know K for problem. a fact this, yeah, I do have a bit of a K problem, but I know for a fact that no one talks like this. So the next scene, Maria Bello sings, and, and like I mentioned earlier, she just is declared the winner the moment she finishes her song. Just seems like, yeah, she was that was good. Here's $500. At this point, Paul Giamatti, I don't know if they have a great makeup artist or if he's such a method actor, he just stayed up for four or five days straight because he looks like a fucking madman. He looks... Um, he really does a good so job selling like, karaoke has destroyed my life and I am a shell of the man I used to be. I didn't right. think you could do that. I didn't think that was like a thing an actor has done, but he should win an award for it. Because he really looks like, yeah, like karaoke looks, just cost him. He just looks cost like everything. karaoke ruined his life. If you saw him on the street, you'd say, oh, another, another life lost to karaoke. But you would absolutely not serve him at your bar. You'd be like, was it, get the fuck was out it of special, here. Specialist K? The Specialist <laughs> of K? Yeah, it was. So, Paul Giamatti... <laughs> Uh, it's now ambushed by his wife because Andre Brower called her and says, dude, you got to get over here to Omaha and, and fucking put a leash on your husband. He's pulled the gun like four, t- four different times. So they sit down for dinner and he is ranting at her about like how the world's all one big strip mall. And he pulls his gun out on his wife. And that's just to keep you updated on where Paul Giamatti is in his karaoke journey. Uh, but now here we are. It's the Omaha karaoke finals. We've all made it here. Uh, we've either hustled or shot our way to Omaha. And now it's very strange. There's like this... Or suck this, dick. Some people or just suck, suck dick. dick. There was at least two dick There's a positive route. <laughs> so, like you do in the world of karaoke uh, travel. So they're, um, 
performing here in the finals and they just have this weird cast of characters singing like every genre of music which seems kind of lucky i guess that they have one of each for the finals but uh, a lot of um interesting cameos like michael buble is he's crooning a song and um james cameron is singing like a doo-wop song with some strange lady and that's kind of weird um one person is credited as karaoke carl which implies maybe these were some sort of local karaoke celebrities uh i i don't know yeah for the uh, authenticity you would want to sell it for the true k-heads you need to have some right. like the, the actual from revenge of the nerds 4 uh, right the guy that a... this screenplay was based on karaoke carl has karaoke to show up in the movie carl. it's like a this little is nod. His story yeah it's in his memory he died of uh k-drugs uh in editing so... it was tragic so Maria Bello is so scared all of a sudden that she's puking, which again, it feels very strange that she's gotten here just through her, her bravado and dick sucking skills. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh my God, I can't sing in front of 25 people. I'm going to, I got to puke. And so she sings, um, uh, sweet dreams are made of these and it's terrible. And she's sort of doing that uh, clang, clang, clang goes the trolley type dancing. I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's very uh, unlike. That was evocative enough. I got it. Okay, good. But it's terrible, but the audience is going crazy. Paul Giamatti goes up to the bar and he says, Cerveza, por favor. You would never give this fucking guy a beer. That's, he is, he looks <laughs> As like a former a bartender, that, I do have that written down on a napkin. Yeah. Don't give anybody a beer if they ask. You wouldn't even have to say anything. You would just point to the sign behind you. It says, cash only, no cerveza, por favor. Get the fuck out. And... The, the $5,000 grand prize, I do not see the ROI for this. I don't know how the fuck the bar even comes close to making that five grand back. Here is where um, shit goes a bit off the rails. Like Huey Lewis uh, sings with Gwyneth, and it's actually really good. Like, I know we're here to make fun of shit, but Gwyneth Paltrow's kind of got a pretty voice, not a big vocal range. Huey Lewis is a national treasure. And for the first time in the movie, they sing something where the crowd, like, going crazy is appropriate. So they all love it. And then Andre Brower sings a, an a cappella goodbye to Paul Giamatti. And he chooses Freebird as the police come in. And the police are waiting for him to finish this song. And if you know anything about music, you know Freebird's 14 fucking minutes long. And he's doing it a cappella. So this, no one would wait for this to finish. You would hear someone say, hey, I'm going to sing this a cappella. And say the first syllable of Freebird. You're like, nope, get the fuck off. Nope. So the cops are waiting for him to finish. And so he... Like all karaoke journeys end like this. He pulls out a gun and aims it at the police and suicides by cop. That's right. The, the movie this... Duets with Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow ends with suicide by cop. And that's how the screenwriter wrapped it up. He's like, which of these main characters is going to win? Wait, I got it. <laughs> what if we shoot Andre suicide to by death cop. in the middle of a free bird acapella? So, uh... That is yeah, that's a real movie. The that's movie. the movie duets. If you wrote the movie duets off, Suicide by Cop is how duets ends. And, uh, Paul Giamatti wraps things up with his wife uh, at the fucking bloody crime scene of of, of, of his Brower. only friend. His only yeah, friend. like the chalk outline behind from... them. They they now that up. is at least two, maybe three lives destroyed by karaoke. <laughs> right, and then they all get into the pink cab and drive to the next town to sing, like Maria Bello. Scott Speedman, Huey Lewis, Gwyneth Paltrow, they all get in the same car. And they're like, hey, we're karaoke buddies now. Yeah, he abandons his life to be her international kimp. Yeah, Which means now they have to hustle away across the country, but when they get $50 a night, they have to split it four ways. So 
I don't know how it's going to work. That's a lot of suck dicks right there. (laughs) Right. And this is like far from the first competition that in, has ended with somebody getting gunned down by the cops. Like this is not unusual right. for any of them. Like this is right. This we is didn't like... mention this, but that's how the wizard ended as well. At the <laughs> Nintendo competition. Yeah, that's that's the over the top formula. You get to the final competition and then you commit suicide by cop, and everybody learns something. <laughs> California, pull a gun. I just, I mean, clearly I've been tipped off to duets when you told us what you were going to do, and I watched it, and I just, I would never. Both my wife and I just sat there for like 10 minutes afterward going, what? I've it's... never heard anyone what? make fun of this movie. I've never seen like a YouTube Nobody's ever mentioned it. Yeah. it. I've never heard anyone bring it up as like one of the all-time weirdest or worst movies ever made. But it, I'm glad I came in cold because I... Me too. Because I, straight I, up I, I, made a case I was blindsided by every detail of this thing. But it's, it is the perfect like... Like ideal example of this, and I do feel like this genre of movies should be called the the duet genre of movies from now on. Yeah, because that took the cup, man. The whole thing is among the world of great authors. If an author is going to write about, like, if somebody's going to write a book about whales, they would actually go get a job on a whaling boat and do Mm -hmm. research for months and months. Like, I don't know if that's ever happened. I'm just using that as I pulled that example out of my ass. Just, but you know. I'll look it up later. This probably, it probably is happening. Yeah, I don't know if there's any books about whales out there, but it, or if they they did a book about biker gangs, they would go like a real journalist, like they would go hang out with a biker gang for a year. Because see, once upon a time, like if you were writing content for like a magazine, mm-hmm. you would get like a yearly salary, and you would write right. write like one article a year, and the rest yeah. time you would spend like experiencing life that you could then write about later. The business model a little bit different now. We'll do a separate <laughs> episode episode about that. In the world of screenwriting, it's a little bit different. <laughs> because the way movies are made, and I'm sorry, some of you listening to this, I don't want to disillusion you. If you're sensitive to being disillusioned about Hollywood, please turn off the podcast now, if you've not already. <laughs> in many cases, a lot of the movies you watch in a theater, or wherever you see them, are not the result of someone's, of the writer's like deep creative dream they've been pursuing their whole life, and this is the culmination of their ideas and all the things they want to say about the world. It is instead a producer in an office saying, hey, uh, karaoke is big right now, or salsa dancing is big right now, or lambada or something. Grab one of our stable of screenwriters and tell them they've got like two weeks to write us. Uh, right. And so this is, of course, what the movie Barton Fink was about. The Coen Brothers fans, like the whole thing is this guy's like a great playwright, and then he goes to Hollywood, and they're like, he just becomes one of their writers. Like, yeah, we want you to write a wrestling movie. And so when you're tasked with writing something like that, rather than, you know, keep in mind, like in the era of The Wizard, they couldn't even sit down and Google what the video game scene looks like. Yeah, you had to know up to one teenager. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or or more likely you met with some people from Nintendo and they gave you a list of games and and peripherals you had to show off. And then you just... Here's all the weapons in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. The scroll weapon. Oh, that's good. No, you're done. We're just, we'll use that one. I just need really just one Really only need line. one detail. We just need one line for that scene. Um, and so they do like the barest minimum amount of research and then just make the rest of it up. This is why I love this genre of movie because it is extremely telling 
<laughs> where they choose to, to how they choose to depict this and the fact that this their karaoke movie is like hey we need a karaoke movie everybody's into karaoke just the the you know the ads with people singing karaoke that'll get people to watch it and like uh you know like bachelorettes will watch it at a party or whatever because they'll think it's like a fun karaoke thing and this guy sat down and wrote this just erotic drug-fueled <laughs> bloody nightmare of depravity <laughs> Either and all wrote, the commercials just yeah. advertised it with that clip of Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis singing Cruisin'. Yeah, and that was it. Everybody went to see this movie based on that clip and was like, I want to watch them sing this nice song. And then at the end, they're just like, oh my God, we need to well, defund that's the, the point police. Because if they handed any of the three of us, like if we really needed money, and they handed any of the three of us like, hey, you've got to knock out a, a screenplay about karaoke in two weeks. Like we could look up like screenplay formatting and then generally, we've seen movies before. So it's like you've got two people, they're like, maybe they're, let's say it's a romance, and they're kind of rivals, and they bicker, and they're like rival karaoke singers. And then they they break up at the 60-minute mark. But when they get back together, it's because they're forced to perform together, and they've already committed to do the duet, right. duet performance. And so I guess I realize I'm describing the plot of that uh, Silver Linings playbook, whatever that Bradley Cooper movie jennifer lawrence movie the was. perfect movie it yeah. sounds like you're describing our plate spinning movie that we were talking about earlier uh, exactly like you, you contrive something and then the duet of the title is them singing together and it's cute and you figure like mm-hmm. you know housewives will like this and you can bang that out there's a template it would not involve <laughs> anyone <laughs> performing fellatio across america and then somebody committing suicide by cop in a guy's life. Like, it, it goes so far off the rails that I, either one of two things happened. Either one, it was like the guy who wrote it as like a prank. He was like mad that they gave him the karaoke <laughs> yeah, because he wanted to do This is the assignment you give me? This, he wanted to do something gritty, so he just made his gritty karaoke movie, and it was too late right. to have it rewritten. Because they're like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow was in this. Like, well, yeah, she was in Seven. It's like that. It's basically Seven meets... <laughs> Um, <laughs> but karaoke instead of uh, yeah. serial killing. But there the is some serial. It's killing. hard to find the seams of where, like the original first draft, almost certainly was the Scott Speedman character and Gwyneth Paltrow falling in love because they do like run into each other at the finals and like flirt for like ten seconds, and it's very strange because it just feels like they kept like one page of the original like love story. But uh, I, all oh, I, this stuff, should be noted over. Over the suicide, of course. Over the suicide bike. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, they, they watched a nice suicide together. And, and then they're like, friends. hey, you're and looking good. Hearing Sean explain like the, the history of the casting and all that, the second possibility is much more likely, which is that somewhere there's a sane screenplay for this movie. Right. And somehow it went through so many revisions and somehow in the course of like running it through the copy machine, they accidentally mixed in a bunch of... <laughs> Like, <laughs> just like, right, like this was yeah, they, this was supposed to be like a James Spader movie where like, yeah, the something. cost of perversion catches up with you. Or there was like one producer who was like extremely high on a conference call who was just like, okay, 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 I got an idea. We're, th- this is gonna. I, I want you to take this to place that where, where, where the audience never is gonna think it's gonna go. I, I, I want blood. I want death. I want a woman <laughs> sucking dick across America for karaoke. I want people sucked into the dark world. And everybody's sitting there on the call, like looking at each other uh, in, in the office in like LA. It's like, Jesus Christ, is he, 
is he gonna have a heart They're attack? Like, this is why he's in charge. <laughs> At one point, he specified <laughs> she ha- she has to suck dick for the, a paint job. Somebody they can't say no to, and they've got this <laughs> this producer who's like like masturbating in his office. Who's just he, you know who like died. He was like found in his pool that next week, having drowned himself. But, but they were like, and this stuck was his, his legacy with his this was notes. His last. Yeah, <laughs> this is how he left the world a better place. Yeah, no idea was thrown out. They're like, what if the main character was an escaped convict who was great at singing? Like, okay, I like it. Actually, I had a second idea. What if it was a lady and she sucked dick across America? Like, oh, I like that too. I like it even more. I don't want to throw out any of these ideas. Could we have one guy that just threw away his life and had like a full-on falling down movie just in the middle of this karaoke movie? (laughs) Falling down but karaoke. That is perfect. (laughs) That is exactly what Paul Giamatti is doing in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not like he's just... He's not just like I'm tired of my wife. It's like he's tired of the entire like yeah. We've got to break the system. Lifestyle. Yeah, like and we've we're got gonna to rip do all it this down and rebuild those karaoke revolutionaries. Now I've got a scene that I wrote in another screenplay that we wound up not using. It's about a mother and a father, and they bang on a coffin. <laughs> Is there a place for that in here? It's this fantasy I try, I, script. I'll be honest. No one wants to buy. I try to work it into every script. <laughs> it's kind of. It's my and then they have sex on the coffin. It's, my thing. it's like my giant spider in Wild Wild West. It's sex on the coffin. Okay, I think we did great. We do have one more book game to see who would best God navigate the world it. of duets. Just between, let me die um, in peace. Jason Pargin and Robert Brockway. This is for the Grand Championships. Who would survive the over-the-top films best? Actually, I guess we're calling them the duet films now because it's right now I have to survive. Duet. I have to survive the world of duets yeah. with the skills that I bring, <laughs> None which of are us so are far in the world of duet. But let's go ahead anyway. Yeah, nobody nobody survives intact. But my skills so far are motorcycle riding and taunting the homeless, and I need one more <laughs> to survive duets. Well, let's do a whole wipe because uh, Jason still has uh, lady helicopter as a power, which is just completely op. So yeah, I think that's way better. Wipe the slates clean. You guys have your abilities plus the abilities you're going to oh, get. Oh, shit. This is our golden great snitch round. About being a woman. Uh, only, only this round counts. Who I goes think Jason, first? Is, uh, it's his turn to go first. Page 69. Oh, now we're talking. Do what's appropriate answer. Okay. This is 1003 Great Things About Being a Woman. We're so imaginative, we believe the dry cleaner shrank our pants rather than face the fact that we've put on three pounds... Uh, there's three more here. Our own salad dressing, oh green goddess. Some of the Seven Sisters colleges are so inclusive they accept boys. And there were seven dwarves, but only one Snow White. So, What's uh, the salad dressing thing? I don't there's get a salad dressing called green goddess, and I guess she's just claiming ownership of that as a woman. And in your, face, I don't fellas, think I understand the woman's journey. Yeah, I really thought I did. It's, thought, this is a very strange book, and you're now, you're now, I think, cursed with these abilities, not gifted. I thought she phrased it, or the author, who, who wrote this? Was it a man or, or uh, Three man? women, Lisa Burnbeck, Anne Hodgman, and Patricia Marks. So Jason now has control over dwarves? Is that where we're at? And I think you control dwarves. Was it uh, phrased that women can make their own salad dressing? Is that a... I think it's just because the salad dressing is called Green Goddess... Like women have ownership of that as the gender that a goddess would be, so that you fellas, you fucking assholes, don't even have your own salad dressing. But we women do. It's called Green Goddess. So in your face. 
What about all of those Paul Newman salad dressings? All right, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm not trying to get on. Okay. So I'm trying to survive in the world of duets, and I have the ability to be better. You can than lie to yourself dwarves? about your weight problems. You can take ownership of things that you probably shouldn't expect credit for. Uh, Seven Sisters College, I imagine that's a religious school. So you have all the theological training that you would have in a, uh, we'll call it an undergraduate degree. And, and you control dwarves. And you can at least count dwarves, if not control them. So these aren't nothing. Like, the idea of being able to lie to yourself is probably really important in karaoke. Yeah. And, um, oh, that's a big one. And controlling dwarves, as we all know. Dwarves. And also, a huge karaoke one. is about, like, stealing the glory of someone else's song it's that very they true. wrote. Very true. And it's acting pretty like good. you should be famous for being able to sing this other person's song with their music playing for you while you right. read you the stole Green Goddess, you can, you can steal Joe Cocker. <laughs> that is a good point about uh, stealing because a lot of karaoke, uh, it's not like a thing people make their own, but in the movie, Maria Bello sort of makes the songs her own. She does kind of her own arrangement, whereas Gwyneth Paltrow is very much doing an impersonation of, of all of the original like, artists. Yeah, you're the Maria Bello of the situation. Bello. And, uh, and all the dicks that that implies in your mouth, of and course. The difference in those two styles would mean a lot if we had any mm -hmm. information about the judging criteria they use when deciding who but wins. Which, again, you do not. The, the difference in approaches would be fascinating if the movie was about that instead of... Anyway. Yeah, I could, I could see enjoying a movie about karaoke where they just sort of say, here's the rules for karaoke, and it's very important to these characters, and I'm interested in these characters, but... That's not the direction they went. No, it so, doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no, Rock instead we got... Is, you got a tough, uh, uh, tough road ahead yeah. of you. It's got to be All a good right. number. Yeah, I really needed to start this off with a handicap, thanks to my previous history. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> 102. Let's do... 102. 102. Okay. This is, uh, you know what goes with... A pearl choker, a white t-shirt. You know it goes with blue jeans and a sneaker, a white t-shirt. You know it goes with a white t-shirt, a white t-shirt. And you know it goes with a glass of red wine, <laughs> it's a black t-shirt. Uh, God damn it. You got, oh, okay, this is some bullshit, but basically you have a white t-shirt. Yeah, I got, one, I got one white t-shirt out of all and of my superpowers. I got the ability to own a white t-shirt. Now... Another thing Jason has get. complete control over dwarves. <laughs> he has a dwarf army, and I'm over here with a white t-shirt. With some artistic license, you could um, establish that you're good at sort of breaking patterns. Like, you're like, white t-shirt, white t-shirt, white t-shirt, black t-shirt. So you, I would say this sort of gives you the element of surprise, but not a surprising surprise. Yeah, so like, I could put like a rap breakdown in Sweet Dreams or something and just ruin it yeah. for everybody. Or deliver it like a nice uh, semi-expected punchline. Look, you know... We all know where you're going with this. Who's the winner here? The winner is author of Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick, yeah, go Jason yourself. Pargin, who writes as David Wong on the internet and in books. Congratulations, Jason Pargin. Reigning champion Jason Pargin, victor <laughs> of one and new all-time champion. Yeah, I, that's, that feels great. I was, I, was, uh, I was on the edge of my seat there because knowing, knowing the scoring system... I could tell it was going to be very, <laughs> be very we do, close. We use the same scoring system as duets. 
Let's do what's. Where you just know. You just know if you've you won. Just know. And, and we just know. <laughs> this is a very yeah. strange game I, I invented. And uh, I apologize to the listeners for what had to have been at least 45 minutes of confusion while we were doing that. But I do hope they get a sense of how fucking in, stupid this book is. In every, in every single episode, the 45 minutes of confusion. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I like, aside from the joke writing, I do design video games. And so they should be good, but they're, they're really not. If I'm being honest with myself. And yet there is one consistent factor, and that's that I'm terrible at them. <laughs> yes, that you always yes. lose. And there's no question. It's not like I'm picking on you. It's just that it's very... No, it's that I understand that yeah. I have lost. <laughs> it's not a bit that you always lose. Well, congratulations on this victory, and I'm sure the much more disappointing victory of having an awesome book out this week <laughs> that everybody should buy, Jason Pargin. Yes, this is be the most stressful week of my of my life selling a book in the middle of a pandemic when half, half of my half of my audience has lost their employment uh, yeah when nobody to, has any money and the people that do have money are investing it in either guns or i don't know lawyers to help them move to canada would the book act as a good weapon or maybe a bullet shield no it felt like a quick read i don't think so can you hmm. don't even really have that Books. It's like a, it it's like just the amount that much paper to stop a bullet. If you but if you had like multiple copies, it would stop almost anything. I yeah, think. that's true. Especially if you get it wet. Um, yeah, I think if you uh, if you took like the Dennis Miller talking doll approach and just like built a shed mm-hmm. out of copies of Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick, I think maybe, that might keep you safe. Maybe you could write one thousand three ways Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. And that'd be a nice, thick book and quick to write because you just need like a few ideas. Man, it seems like a sweet gig because I'm telling you right now, I bet whoever wrote that actually made a decent amount of money. I, you, they probably got a four or five grand advance for this piece of shit. And it, it, a week, if it took longer than a weekend, I'd be amazed. That's the, that's the point. It's the effort versus what they get, got right, paid, yeah. is what I'm saying. Because like you've, you've written, Sean has written entire series of columns about about specific list book authors and that they will just recycle the same idea over and over and over again and these things just i don't know if they sell them like near the checkout stand of like a i don't know a gift shop or something like that you know they tend to be in self-help sections like if you if you look for them in a bookstore to Uh, that point i have written a thousand page book that took me four years i don't think i made five grand off of it so yeah i'm game for Writing about a thousand things, writing about a thousand things in a weekend, uh, which is really like forty things that I'm just going to repeat. Yeah, let's be clear: you do not need to have a thousand things in mind. It's... Yeah, it's just like forty things, and then you just kind of look up synonyms for them and put them in a different font, and then I'm... just you bank right. on that nobody gets to the end, which is a good bank. Without starting a whole thing, I can tell you from experience, it's super hard many times to come up with five things. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got three, and then one doesn't kind of fit, and one sucks. <laughs> I did write about that on a, a reflecting it recently. How it cracked. It felt very important to construct a list for a lot of ideas. So you'd have these awesome ideas of like uh, this scene from you know the Dirt Bike Kid where you he masturbates a bike, and you're like, that's Ascension what I want to write about. To now you're like, I've got to come up with like four other movies that are very similar to a kid jerking off a dirt bike. How am I going to... Right, like the best robot jerk-off scenes right. of 1986. And you just get stuck in these ruts where you're like, 
I don't want to write about these other four movies because they're not funny or good. And but now you can just write about Roadhouse, which has been up on our site, mm-hmm. 1900hotdog.com. Uh, let, let me rewind and, and take a moment. Sean never turned anything into me that he just kind of farted out. Is like, <laughs> ah, it's like, it, it's by deadline. Like by the time you get it, he has, it, it appears to have had like 150 hours of work in it. Uh, and, yeah, like eight, mon- eight months later. <laughs> yeah, it's, you get it. I'm not great with deadlines, but like <laughs> the work is pretty polished. I, I right, know but that it's solid work. The world maybe didn't appreciate it, especially toward the end, because it's like, wow, it's a list thing. Lists are all over the place. I just went to sure. BuzzFeed and they had 15 uh, gifts of, of sleepy kittens yawning, and these kittens are sleepy. And somebody took 20 Equal minutes and it would get 4 million hits. Uh-huh. <laughs> it would do far more traffic than the thing that Sean spent literally weeks trying to put together with and tweaking every single sentence because every every sentence has to have a punchline. Uh, so, yeah. I wrote was, them just for you. I was like, you know who would appreciate this is Jason. The readers, they probably won't notice, but... <laughs> The modern readers will bail out after the first two entries because they've. It, it, anyway, the industry changed. Let's let's not. I, I don't. I didn't. I promised myself I wasn't going to bring it up. I keep bringing it up on every podcast I go on to. I'm not bitter. That's yeah, a different podcast. I've left I think we're doing another podcast. Towards, let's all pivot towards one thousand and one books. Oh shit! That's a good move. It's about due for a comeback. The cyclical nature nature of of retro <laughs> is coming back. You Meanwhile, know what's be big hula hoops. <laughs> listeners out there now that you're aware of this genre you you'll spot them now because we there were some mm-hmm. honor, honorable mentions we talked we were going to bring up like the movie twister which is about the high stakes big money world of tornado right. chasing where in real yeah. life the tornado chaser is like one guy in a van who works at like a local station and that so he can like get laid at county fairs like like that's <laughs> it like it's but this is this is the big money corporate world of tornado chasing cocktail yeah, half half of all movies are this movie it's true i'm partial to uh white men can't jump which is the oh, that's a good uh, one pick up basketball street hustling basketball street hustling and again which if again i feel like maybe became a thing like kind of like the wizard became a thing uh, yeah in a way yeah yeah and that's on the level of the color of money where i don't want to know if it's not real it's so lovable and so well done and, and such a beautifully realized world that... Like, well, I can no, tell you Cocktail wasn't real. Yeah, Cocktail is another example. The of, underground yeah, world of bottle flipping. The high stakes, big money world of a bartender who's so good at bottle flipping that it like, turns the whole operation around. People I can tell from, you from experience, if your boss catches you flipping bottles at the bar, <laughs> you are fired. <laughs> Did you really get fired for flipping bottles? That's amongst other things okay okay <laughs> i mean maybe the bottle flipping wasn't cited specifically he couldn't but have I seen knew. that through the fire that i started but like right i, I knew what it was facts. i knew he was jealous of my flair <laughs> did you have a whole world of jargon in the in the the bartender yeah that's scene? what we call it we call it flair Spelled F L A R E, actually. Weirdly enough, it's not how you hmm. think. Yeah. Bartenders are notoriously bad spellers. I learned that. It's B talk. Bartender talk. <laughs> and none of us know the bouncer. We call it spalling. It's spelling, but in B talk. <laughs> did the bouncer look Shane like Hunt. Patrick Swayze, or did he look more like Sam Elliott, or, or neither of them? No, they all, like, best case scenario, they look like Bull from over the top. <laughs> just eating cigars yeah oh. just an angry angry man he's kind of muscular but you know he's gonna die from it 
<laughs> yeah, carrying just enough weight to always have a back that's thrown out. Okay. And so, the kind of guy that maybe cannot fight all that well, and that maybe is not that graceful of a right, fighter. Right, he just can't right. reach you when you're. He's behind really him. counting on you backing off before the punches. Yeah, it's about start. yeah, it's about like white college kids being scared of. Of the guy like that's that's the bouncer's skill I've somehow known two people who worked as bouncers and they were both just big they were just large right. large people I, I mean that like, is no. that is the criteria because honestly it's just white college kids causing problems like nobody else is really an issue it actually doesn't take all that much fighting to get them to to, to leave or whatever anyway so what's the traditional way that you guys wrap up an episode well, how do you, you, know, how do you do I, it? this what's is going to sound crazy but do you have anything to plug Jason is there You've plugged it already. If anybody wants to follow me on my, my social medias, you just search Jason Pardren or David Wong. They'll come up on Google. There's not that many people. that There's like a famous heart surgeon named David Wong. I think you'll know that's not that's not the same. You'll know that's person. not the right one? That's not the right one. So He's pretty funny on Twitter, though. I've got – I have, see, I have to have a Twitter. It's a right, site that I wish I could stop tag. using, but because Facebook – as it had ruined our previous lives is I have a, I have Facebook accounts where I have to try to promote the books, but it's the exact same thing with trying to promote things that cracked. It's like, well, we have an algorithm and you have 70,000 followers on here. Your post will be shown to 1500 of them Mm -hmm. unless you pay. Yeah. If you pay $25, we'll show it to a bot network. To a bot network, right. that's uh-huh. right. And we will give you Four Bangladeshi falsified men will see stats your post. about the click-through and make it make it seem really successful. Um, so, hey, this podcast is about the thing you said it wasn't going to be about. But, uh, but Twitter, yeah, Twitter is free to use. It only costs you your soul. So I, I have to maintain engagement <laughs> on Twitter to sell books. Um, and if I... My dream is to reach a level where I can be like one of those super famous people where they clearly have just hired somebody. Like Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. is clearly not on his Twitter writing jokes. Uh, and the only famous people who use it are the ones who it's just broken their brain, like Ricky Gervais, where they're, they're just obsessively just insulting children and things like that. Right. I want to get to a level where I can just have somebody tweet out vaguely <laughs> clever promotional things. And yeah, it you want to get that, like uh, me, that like, like Lay's potato chip money. Yeah, yeah, where I have like a you can be like a corporate Twitter with like a clever intern. That's yeah. the way to do it. I'll occasionally like insult another author or something else on there. But but to be able to like delete that app from my phone. Yeah. That's, that's the, the goal. That's, that's the, the dream. dream. Help help Jason reach his dream. Buy playing. his books so he can delete his Twitter. So I don't have to be on Twitter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's of course we have we have our things to plug. One nine hundred hot dog. Uh, come and this here podcast that you're listening to but you should still like smash and like and hit subscribe right dominate Do the reviews reviews i've heard help a lot right review us uh dominate that like button obliterate that subscribe button uh, i don't know share re- your favorite duets movie with us i don't know that's that's engagement right that's something we to talk about oh. yeah they've got a twitter find their twitter reply to their twitter post about this episode with your favorite duets movie that will because twitter these days also is not showing everyone your tweets and they and also are building hashtag suicide by cop an algorithm <laughs> so yeah under the hashtag suicide by, by cop yeah and under the hashtag uh assassinate the president <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> on election day and, and see that will great, get great engagement on Twitter these days. Uh, Six Emperor Tyrannus, everybody. One nine hundred hot dog. The Dog Zone Nine Thousand brought to you by Benjamin Saran, Doctor Aqua, Ken Paisley, Josh S, Lusario, Zachary Evans, Adrian Hisbrook, Aiden Muat, Mike Styles, Toasty God, Josh Baby, and Neil Bailey, Eric Spaulding. The artist formerly known as Devin, David Forniff, Yaber Al Aiden, Neil Schaefer, Micah Phillips, Zdarfen, Polly Poiswo, Lyman, Armando Nava, John McCammon, Yanis Ioannidis, Jeff Atwood, John, Nick Ralston, Dean Costello, Rhea Hawk, Three Finger Louie, Tim Leahy, Brianne Whitney, Matt Riley, and Nick H. Thank you to all our supporters and patrons. We, we love you.